0: Hello and welcome to a very special, very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast and my name is Brendan Bigley.
1: I'm Stephen Hilger. I am beyond excited for this one. I always am excited for bonuses. But every now and then we do a bonus. I almost feel the cosmic pressure that everyone who worked on this game felt, and everyone who works <laughs> on the games inspired by this game felt. Like every now and then we we unconsciously take on the energy of the game when we do an episode about it. Yeah. And I I feel that it's like it's like daunting to talk about a game like this, like Chrono Trigger, that is so like. Universally Beloved was like a huge hit in every way when it came out and is continues to be like <laughs> adored like yeah. I feel like there are hits that's like oh it was like weird at the time but now people like it and then there's like oh like this didn't do well but it's like a critic favor and this is just like everything like yeah. anything you could have any, any type version of, of praise it could get it has
0: gotten yeah <laughs> throughout time even throughout time look at that and there's also like another aspect of this where like in the early 2000s after kid a came out like every dj in the like early kind of like techno electronics scene did a remix of everything in its right place like every dj that was like the thing that you did yeah like if you wanted to like be a person who was djing in like a grungy new york club in the early 2000s you had to do a remix and release it on vinyl of everything in its right place first so you could like establish your tone and your voice as an artist weirdly this feels like that like it's this feels like our everything in its right place remix (laughs) A podcast episodes in a weird way because like this this is just one of those games that i have wanted to play for a really long time um and i i have been like both really excited and kind of dreading talking about it in a sense because yeah. it's so lofty because it's like such a
1: big monumental thing in the medium it's one of my favorite games of all time and i really wanted to avoid like putting that pressure on you, which, yeah. you know, we, we, we've done a lot of like, we've been doing the show long enough now that both of us have checked out like favorites of the other. And it's always really fun. But I, I also always want to avoid the like, you have to watch this you have to play this because like whenever someone tells me that i immediately decide i never will like it's just like (laughs) it's not not conscious it's just like the minute someone tells me that i have to do something it's never gonna happen yeah we've had this conversation before but it's weird to like force media on someone in that way but in this case because you have had an active interest in checking out rpgs jrpgs you know the golden age of JRPGs, and I know your taste pretty well. I was like, I'm just waiting for this to crystallize. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. I just, I just, I have to be patient. So here we are. I,
0: yeah, and and to be clear, like this is not my first time trying to play Chrono Trigger, but it is right. the first time I finished it. So it was it was nice to have a little bit of pressure on it. I think I, I think you're right. I think it would have happened eventually, but it was nice to have a little bit of pressure on it. Anyway, th- that's enough. Pre- let's talk about the video game. I, I specifically want to know like your deal with Chrono Trigger. Like, when did you play it? <laughs> maybe maybe before we even get into like our experience playing it. Um, it, it, Just to be clear, we're not going to get into spoilers until we like specifically say we're going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't played the game and you don't know anything about it don't worry until you have to worry but anyway uh <laughs> just like quick overview of this game it was published by square for the super nintendo in 1995 essentially the idea was that it was the culmination of the quote-unquote dream team uh, in the form of yuji Horii, who is the creator of dragon quest Hiro Nobu sakaguchi who is the creator of final fantasy and akira toriyama who uh, is the artist behind dragon ball the creator of dragon ball you recognize his art um also <laughs> You know, alongside that, you have people like uh, Nobuo Uematsu who went on to do incredible uh, music for Final Fantasy and uh, more recently the Mistwalker stuff. And you also have just like... I don't know. It's just like everybody who touched this game kind of like went on to create great stuff. Uh, Even the people who like you wouldn't have known before this, you know, who weren't part of that like top three dream team, like eventually went on to create great stuff. The creator of Xenogears worked on some of the story for this game. The actual composer uh, who eventually we can get into why they had to step aside for a big part of the production eventually. But the the composer for a lot of this game um, went on to work on a bunch of great stuff for Square as well. This is all before Square Enix before that merger as well which I I think is kind of interesting because it's a bunch of people from the Enix side coming over to Square to make a game for Square which feels a little bit like uh, it's like a
1: swan song
0: yeah yeah but but essentially like at the time just to be clear like about 1995 when this game came out like just to be clear where both of those Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy were at Dragon Quest had just released uh, Dragon Quest 5 that was the most recent one which a lot of people would say is like maybe the best one I think uh, from a story perspective a lot of people would argue that that's the best one. And then on the Final Fantasy side was the release of Final Fantasy six, which again, a lot of people would cite as like of that era of Final Fantasy was like probably the best one that had come out in 1994 at that point. So like these are two people who in their respective franchises had created what is maybe the culmination of everything that they had ever wanted to make. And at the same time, we're like, man, this is tiring. What if we made something completely different, but also played to our strengths? And That hype cycle of like the creation or the the ideation of Chrono Trigger before it was even like announced what it is and when it's coming out, what it's going to be. But just the idea that these people were working together at all was enough to generate enough hype that this was going to be a huge deal. And I mean, we've seen it time and time again in every medium uh, throughout time but like a thing that is hyped to this degree can really go one of two ways you know or a couple ways I guess you know it could not live up to expectations it could be just fine or it can somehow live up to and exceed the sum of its parts in which case you know you become an immediate legend uh, which is kind of what happened with Corona Trigger because uh, yeah. that game came out sold wildly well and now I think is interesting because a lot of games have taken inspiration from it and it is obviously rippled out um, and, and a lot of the design philosophy behind this game has like inspired a lot of our favorite games, a lot of my favorite games, even, even though I hadn't played Chrono Trigger, I can still like recognize the yeah. things that other games have taken from Chrono Trigger that uh, ha- has inspired it. But still, nobody has really like lived up to or tried to even like live up to the quality and ideation of Frohno Trigger. Like it was this kind of, as you said, swan song of ideas and everybody just kind of took bits and pieces from it, but nobody's really tried to like
1: do it again. And I think it's also, I'm, I'm glad we're taking a moment to kind of talk about like when this game came out, because in terms of recognizing its influence, there are small things this game does that like, playing it now in a modern setting in the present timeline, if you will. Certain elements have become staples, but it's like this largely was the first game to do a lot of things like having a little bit more agency over the plot with decisions and multiple endings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even just the aspect of it becoming like a little bit open world, like FF6 and Chrono Trigger were really the first big RPGs to like kind of deviate from like a, a sort of linear path. Like both games are largely linear up until a certain point. And then open up and the way that Chrono Trigger opens up and the like thrill you get from being able to go anywhere. And, you know, with I won't say too much more on that because I feel like it is a spoiler in some ways, but like the feeling of exploration I think was really unparalleled before that game. So like, even just that idea of like the design of the world map and the progression of exploration tools I think is profoundly influential even if a game doesn't realize it like that baton has been passed so many times that like it all goes back to Chrono Trigger in some way Mm -hmm. I also think when you're talking about the dream team it really does and again like I don't know the production history like 100% but I, I have looked into like who had what role and it feels like not only do you have this group of incredibly talented people both veterans of the craft and Newcomers like Yatsunori Matsuda. Who's the composer for most of the game? Yeah. Um, who I think his story was—he really wanted to like kind of break out and like take on more creative responsibility. And I believe he reached out to Sakaguchi and was like, "Either let me compose or I quit." Like that's that's the ultimatum here. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So anyway, you have just like you know the amazing art of Akira Toriyama, the incredible score by both composers. Uh, Sakaguchi, I think, largely uh, his contribution was like the battle system. So you kind of have like this sort of cinematic flair of the Final Fantasy battle system Yuji Horii I believe like largely like outlined the story and then you have uh, Masato Kato who I believe was also like a relative newcomer had kind of worked in the background on a-, a lot of games prior and like yeah. has had a hand in almost every big RPG and went on to being like essentially the lead creative in Chrono Cross the sequel it feels like you have this sort of fable bedtime story foundation of Yuji Hori's like overall idea. Mm-hmm. But then Masado Keito and the other writers are able to fill in like the blanks of that outline in a way that like kind of flushes it out a little bit more and gives it like a surprising level of Nuance and, like, you know, I, I think for me, one of the pitches I have for this game is like, it feels like it has the creative bravery of a child, like, of like an eight year old in their doodle book. Like, this is Frog, this is Robo. Like, it has that kind of like, <laughs> yeah, just critiqueless tenacity but it's backed up by like solid ass craft like it's like (laughs) we're gonna go for these very bright and colorful ideas that you might scoff at but we're gonna make it work because we're just so good at what we do Mm. it's really it's really still remarkable
0: yeah and and i think that's one of the interesting things about chrono trigger or at least like talking about it now is i feel like in a lot of instances when you talk about games like this of this era there can be a tendency to spend a lot of time comparing it to you know other games that came out around the time and i think that's a worthwhile thing to do but there's almost maybe a more holistic view you should take on things like this right like if you're playing this game in 2022 like i did for example (laughs) you, you can't spend the whole time saying like wow for its time this was pretty cool like i that to ignore the context of yourself and your place in time while playing the thing i think is to kind of turn your back on your own experience in a sense you know you Need to look at the thing holistically, so you can recognize, like, oh yeah, compared to the other games that came out in 1995, obviously this is very good. But comparing it to the games of 2022, comparing it to other games that you've played is an equally worthwhile thing to do, and I think an equally worthwhile lens to look at this game through. Absolutely, and I I think one of the shocking things about Chrono Trigger, for me at least, is that viewed through both lenses, it's like a masterwork. I mean, it's like. It's an unbelievable experience, and I I think it's just as interesting today as it was then. I think it's possible that it was more interesting then because it was so new and so many of the ideas were so fresh. Of course. And we're now playing it in a landscape where so many things have been inspired by it. But even, you know, held on its own, under its own merit, stacked up against the things that it has inspired, it is still better than most of them, which is like a shocking thing I think it's a shocking thing to experience because that trust me I mean we play a lot of video games for this show and I've gone back and I've been playing a lot of games from I don't know the past as long as video games have existed for this show as well and that experience of playing something from the era of the 90s let's say and thinking like this is as good as if not better than
1: most of the things i'm playing now that does not happen very frequently on this show (laughs) even something as like there are games as recent as like 2010 where you could say like oh this was a really good foundation set but it's gotten better since or whatever yes. yeah like it's it's i think it largely depends on you know the the goal of the game and i think that like this sort of era of games like the super nintendo era in general i think it's aged very well at least visually because mm-hmm. like we talked about this a lot on the game boy advance episode we did but like that specific console had like the perfect set of limitations that like it had more power so they could visually express ideas to a much greater degree than on the NES but it was still limited enough that you had to be creative Mm -hmm. so what you get is like a really really cool art style that people still try to emulate but I'm so glad you had that experience with this game and I have to agree I mean I I was kind of prepared like I hadn't played it to completion in a while I I think the last time I played Carnot Trigger was like at the very beginning of this podcast because it was just something that I would go back to Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really touched it since. So like going, like I was prepared to sort of feel the like, I, I, I was confident enough in the game that I knew I was still going to love it. But I was prepared to have a conversation with you that was kind of like, it's still really cool, but X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It's not 1995 anymore. And it's like, <laughs> it's shocking <laughs> that we're both like, you know, in the cult of Chrono Trigger. just like, no, this is it. Like, this is still decades later, one of the best games to play. Um, yeah
0: i yeah i mean look if you're listening to this and you're curious from my perspective somebody who hasn't played it and is playing it now for the first time like i i personally and maybe it's the things I've played before this or whatever but I feel like at this point in my life Chrono Trigger is definitely like one of the best games of all time like it, it people have said that my whole life and that's why I've always been so interested in checking it out and every single time I bounced off of it and thought like I I think it's just not for me and as we've talked about on the show uh, in regular episodes multiple times like I'm kind of on this like crash course in RPGs and JRPGs and I have been for the past couple of years so I have enough context of the genre To at least like understand how to play it. But there's a very big difference from understanding the context and enjoying the thing and there was a certain point in the middle of my quarantine in Paris when I had COVID where I was like I am like looking forward to picking this game up and playing it every time to talk about it on the show eventually like I'm not doing this for the show anymore I'm doing this just because the game is fucking great (laughs) Uh, and I just can't wait to keep playing it and I think you know a game is good at least when we're making this show when I don't want to play other games for regular episodes I just want to play the thing that we're doing for the bonus which is what happened in this case where like it was hard for me for the past couple weeks to pick things to play which is why I ended up picking things by Tokyo RPG Factory an entire studio whose creation was under the guise essentially of making games that are inspired by Chrono Trigger so in every sense I've just been playing Chrono Trigger for the entire month of January.
1: Welcome to my life. I hope you enjoyed it here. <laughs> I, I think we're kind of veering into our own personal history with the game and the series. Do you want to? Do we want to share that real quick? Yeah yeah so what's really ironic is that my history with Chrono Trigger even though I I have this long history with RPGs I, I've mentioned many times that Final Fantasy 7 at age nine it's just very funny like that's the only piece of media that I really <laughs> grabbed onto at age nine that I still think about like, it's just like <laughs> what, what what else from that part of my life am I like that was great but Final Fantasy 7 and I would say also Ocarina of Time not hot takes playing those games at a young age I think really opened my mind to what games could be. Mm. Like I I loved video games from a very young age because my sister and I played a lot of Super Nintendo when I was like really really young. But largely we played like Super Mario Worlds, like incredible game. I also think that's one of the best games ever made, but it wasn't narrative. So I think that like I bring that up because I learned pretty early on that my interest in games was because of narrative and the potential storytelling device that games had. Mm. So my somewhat strange entry point to Chrono Trigger was not just getting it on the Super Nintendo, but I got Chrono Cross, the sequel, on PlayStation 1 Uh in like middle school. And I got Chrono Cross with no knowledge that it was like related to another thing. I didn't know what Chrono Trigger (laughs) was. And I loved it. I loved Chrono Cross and I still do. Chrono Cross is, is the sequel to Chrono Trigger. We mentioned it a little bit before. We we brought it up on the show a couple times. It is kind of a, a mixed bag in terms of the reception because, again, everything we just said, like, how the hell do you follow a game like this? Like, yeah. the amount of pressure there. Chrono Cross, I think, did this smart thing of, like, almost similar to Majora's Mask. It went for a much sort of moodier, introspective story, in a way. And I think they kind of, sh- like, both games were the sequels to, like, a very just like quintessential classic adventure. And then the sequel was like a weird (laughs) nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Chrono Cross largely was its own story. I do think it has some difficulty when like every now and then it decides it wants to be a sequel and it kind of stumbles there without mm. saying too much. But largely that game is is kind of pursuing its own narrative with, with a lot of new characters and they're much more related on like an indirect way than like a here's what happened next way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just wanted more of what they loved about Triggers. so there was definitely, like it did well, like Chrono Cross still, like if you judge Chrono Cross as It's own game. It's not only good; it's great. Like, it's a great RPG. But it was the sequel to Chrono sugar So,
0: like, (laughs) I've I've seen a lot of discourse from people who, at the time, really didn't like Chrono Cross. I think you liked it a lot as a kid. But from what I've seen, that it was very, it was not super well received by a lot of people. It seems it was was a hot take to like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Um, and um, and in the years since, people have started to warm up to it. Up until now, where there have been a lot of rumors of a potential remake coming out this year which is fascinating by the way to remake chrono cross and not trigger i think that that's wild and i'm excited to hear why if they ever announce it and (laughs) have to explain themselves in an interview but i think with that potentially on the horizon a lot of people are like actually that game was good you know people have now summoned the bravery to speak the truth out into the world
1: I haven't played it, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. Now that you've become a fan, I'm very curious what you'll think of it. Especially,
0: there is like a 100% chance that I will be playing Chrono Cross for this podcast <laughs> this year.
1: Remake if or nothing not. Else, if nothing else, the music is fantastic. Yasunori Matsuda composes yes. Chrono Cross, and it's like one of the best soundtracks of all time. But we will talk <laughs> about Chrono Cross more. It's it's People said this in the Discord. It's one of the most into the Aether games that could exist.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to set myself up, but I'm going to like it more than Chrono Trigger somehow. And I <laughs> I just, I feel that in my heart. That's like exactly the kind of shit that I pull on this thing.
1: What I'll say again, I don't want to spoil Chrono Cross in, in hour one of this Chrono Trigger bonus. But what I will say is that I feel like <laughs> Chrono Trigger. We said no spoilers for Chrono Trigger. We didn't say anything about spoilers gotcha. for Chrono Cross. Uh, or Radical Dreamers. Uh, right. Uh, wow, you've done your homework. Uh, one of the things I could say about Chrono Trigger is that you say this phrase a lot and I and I and I like it as a compliment to a piece of media. It's comfortable with metaphor, it's comfortable with like not answering all the questions. Mm, like yeah. there are a lot of moments in Chrono Trigger that will just sort of like plant the seed of an idea that once you're done with the game you could kind of dwell on. Like there are different aspects of the game that might stick with you differently, depending yeah. on who you are and what you latched on And also like what you did, because the game is fairly open for being also straightforward and yeah. linear. So Chrono Cross feels like it was Masato Keito being like, what if I focused on like one of the feelings that we like kind of made in Trigger and focused on like a certain plot line and went in that direction completely. Mm. It, it almost feels like um, the way that a lot of filmmakers will talk about adapting a book to film where it's like, I had this feeling and I just did that rather than like treating the text like it was something I had to recreate. I just wanted to recapture a vibe. That's my read on it. And again, I think because mm. it was such a different and specific vibe of a game, people were like, this isn't what I wanted. And this is mm. not what I remembered about Trigger Riddle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, back to me. I played Cross first. <laughs> And then in high school, in high school, I got the PS1 port. I'm hearing the audience scream no as I say that. I played Cross first, and then I got the PS1 port of Chrono Trigger, which is infamous for being the definitive worst way to play it. Mm -hmm. So that came out at a time when Square was like porting a lot of the older Final Fantasies to PlayStation 1. So there was like... One disc that was like Final Fantasy 4 and 5. That was actually where I played 4 for the first time. And it was actually a decent port of 4. So that was good. And then there was 6 and Chrono Trigger, which is like... The dream, right? But the (laughs) the port of Chrono Trigger, just something, I don't know what they messed up, but basically every time you got into a battle, there was like a five to ten second pause, and then the battle would begin.
0: Yeah. Which, as we'll get into when we start talking more about the mechanics, defeats the purpose of one of the main reasons that people (laughs) liked Chrono Trigger.
1: Right. Uh, So... I, play, and I actually got pretty far on the PlayStation 1 port because I had no context for what it was Yeah, and I, I remember initially feeling like because eventually I learned that there was this other game and that people liked it more than Chrono Cross and I was like huh I thought Chrono Cross was pretty cool alright <laughs> uh, and then I played the PS1 port of Chrono Trigger and like kind of struggled with it too because one it was a bad port that I didn't even realize and two I, I it was so different from what I had known from Cross I almost had the inverse where I'm like mm. this is so radically different that I don't know if I actually like connect with this as much. And I don't think it it wasn't until college I, I had a Mac in that time and I had a Super Nintendo emulator. <gasps> and I played Chrono Trigger on my MacBook and realized that my beloved Chrono Cross was <laughs> was less than yeah. this yeah. work of art. And then I think I I picked up shortly after that the DS version. And that's been the one that I go back to and play and it has become one of my favorite games of all time. So that's yeah. my story. Wow.
0: Um, yeah that's um i love i love the useart of the PlayStation version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth mentioning. Uh, just as we talk about this, this game is available on a, in a lot of places. It is not available on the Nintendo Switch, unfortunately, which is sad. which is a crime. Yeah, I I hope that they add it eventually. Um, but yeah, especially if they're remaking Cross or whatever they're doing with Cross, it would make sense to release Trigger in some way. Especially yeah. considering, uh, not to keep speculating on things, but like uh, SquareSoft is in the middle of releasing all the Final Fantasy games, like doing these pixel remasters and releasing them on all these platforms and probably the Switch this year. Just like do it with Chrono Trigger, please. Anyway, Chrono Trigger is available. Uh, (laughs) It was uh, originally available on the Super Nintendo and then the PlayStation 1, as you mentioned. Uh, The Nintendo DS uh, is a lot of people would say is the best version to play, but it is also available on iOS and Android. It's available on Steam as well. The Steam version, I think a lot of people didn't like for a while and has since been fixed, whether that's through Square Enix or through like modders. I'm not really sure, but from what I've heard, it's gotten better since it was released uh, in some way, shape or form. So if that's your preferred method of playing, then you can go do that. I think it is widescreen, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. I, I have to imagine that that's interesting. But that having been said, uh, I, I played the DS version for this one and I think it's great. I really enjoyed it. But uh, the, the first time I tried playing this game was, as I mentioned In last week's episode, I was, like, trying to kind of go through all the games that I had missed because I had only had a Sega Genesis until the PS2 came out. So I missed just, like, whole swaths of games. I didn't play any Nintendo stuff. I missed, like, just so much. And I remember... Chrono Trigger being one of the games that I wanted to play because like you go on Google even in like the mid 2000s to late 2000s early 2010s you go on Google and you type in what are the best Super Nintendo games and Chrono Trigger is usually in the top three sometimes number one so I was like well I should probably play that one with really no context for like why it's good or anything about it really Uh, and I would always get a little bit of a ways in uh, without saying too much I would get to the future the time you go to the future uh, and then I would always bounce and then move on to something else and I have tried playing this game many many times and this is not the first time I've tried playing it for this podcast I got the iOS version like two years ago and tried playing it for the show because I thought that it would be a good idea and it'd be a fun episode to have to surprise you as I frequently do with games that you love
2: <laughs> saying like
0: hey I beat Chrono Trigger you didn't even know I was playing it but I've been doing it in the background this whole time then I pass out yeah yeah um this is a chrono trigger episode whether you want it or not Stephen but uh I couldn't do it I just like I kept trying to play it and I could never really figure out why it wasn't working for me. But, you know, eventually I think it just got to the point where it was like, I just got to do it. I just have to push through that part that I always bail on and, you know, see what's on the other side of it. And maybe this part is just like weaker than the others or something, or, or maybe it's not clicking with me or I don't really know. And now, now on the other side of that, I'm like, man, I do think that that is actually just the one part of the game. I don't think is like, as great as everything else yeah um, i agree i know exactly where yeah, you got
1: and i agree yeah
0: totally um and and i think for most people if you uh, get to that point and you're like man this is kind of rough just follow a guide until you're done with that part and then you'll have fun for the rest of the time um, <laughs> but that having been said i mean now that i'm done with it it is a game that i i think is like head and shoulders above most rpgs that i've played at least and is like probably one of the best games on the super nintendo i I don't want to like say that definitively i don't want to like rank shit right now but it's up there i mean it is it is as good as everybody has said and if you haven't played it you should play it just to be clear some of the things that are like i think interesting about this game some of the things that they're doing that were shocking at the time and honestly in some cases still are interesting one of the things is like when you're running around in the world you can avoid combat sometimes because you can see the enemies in the overworld what i think is even more interesting than that that's the thing a lot of people point to but what i think is even more interesting than that is when you get into Combat. There's not like a freeze frame and then you jump into a, a battle screen. Like everything just immediately starts. As soon as you run into an enemy, you are just in combat in the overworld and you're fighting. Uh, and I think that is a wonderful thing. And I I even had to think to myself about like recent RPGs that I've really liked. And like that is that's not even how games work now. Like a lot of games still have <laughs> the you know, even, even a game like Dragon Quest 11s Echoes of Elusive Age, that game has the ability to see enemies in the overworld and run into them or avoid them. But even when you do, like the game zooms in, fades to black, fades out of black, and now, you know, your party is lined up and you're picking stuff out of a turn-based combat system uh, and and, and fighting enemies. You know, it, it doesn't even have the like random battle system that the Final Fantasy games or even Dragon Quest at that point in the 90s were kind of known for. This is like a wholly new thing. On top of that, you have the ATB system, which was made famous by Final Fantasy at this point, also had been used in, I think, two
1: of the Final Fantasy games, maybe three. It was in four, five, and, and
0: six. six. Yeah, yeah. So the ATB system essentially is like, as you are doing turn-based combat, there's a little bar that fills up. And when it fills up all the way for each character, when it fills up all the way for a character, you can then choose an action for them. And simultaneously, the enemies have an ATB meter that you can't see that is always filling up as well. So you don't know when they're going to attack you, but you have a sense of when you'll be able to attack them. And that system personally i
1: don't enjoy like for the most part no i'm with you it usually like we've talked about this and i've i've also written about it in our medium because i a while ago I, I tried to write a guide of like here are games i think are good like rpg entry points and guess what corner trigger's on there but I feel mm-hmm. like this is, like, one of the few examples where ATB is what they wanted to be. Because ATB was born out of a time where RPGs were trying to move towards real-time combat. Yeah. And ATB is, like, the awkward Charmeleon phase of that yes. growth. Yes. But, like... The way that Chrono Trigger implements it, I think combining ATB with the fast-paced battles of that game with the seamless transition between the world map and combat, it really does come close to like what the feeling FF7 Remake gives you, where it's like you are navigating a place in real time, but you're still waiting for those bars to, to build up in order to do the moves that you want. Yes. They've just sort of filled in the waiting space with more kind of uh, passive action, like rolling or blocking or whatever right i would say to tales of arise i mean that's much more actiony but like i feel like chrono trigger is like dreaming of playing like one of those two games you mm-hmm. know yeah. and if it feels like it's not far off even though it's you know a different system
0: yeah so generally speaking whenever i've experienced the atb system in other games for example like final fantasy 8 is is a final fantasy game that i will not play more than an hour of unfortunately because i, <laughs> that's I okay really like I have that's another game that I've tried playing multiple times and the reason that I won't specifically is because I don't like the way the combat feels like at all and uh, the way I generally feel about the ATB meter is I am just waiting around until I am pressured to do something in a sense that feels like uncomfortable and I think that's like a little bit of the idea of the ATB meter right it's it's supposed to feel akin to real time but the fact that I need to navigate menus and there are all of these different like unfortunate mechanics kind of stacked on top of combat in a lot of the Final Fantasy stuff, these ATB meter at least, you end up like kind of backing yourself into a corner where you're just like being almost like taunted by the options that you have available. Whereas in Chrono Trigger, it's very simple. When the ATB meter fills, there is attack, there are your technical moves, which are like, you know, your elemental attacks or your like attacks that will hit groups of enemies at once or whatever, or you use an item. And like, those are your three options. It's very easy to choose which one you're going to do at any given time. I don't feel any pressure really because I always know what I'm going to do before the ATB meter has filled whereas I don't feel that way in a lot of final fantasy games that use it
1: yeah there's a really nice rhythm to some of the more difficult battles it's like okay I know I need this character to do this these I want to wait for them and and the thing with this game that Chrono Trigger kind of made famous is like characters will will eventually unlock moves they can do together yeah. so you have moves where if you wait for two bars to fill up or even three in some cases they'll do this big cinematic move together and honestly like Chrono Trigger came out two years before Final Fantasy VII, which is wild to think about. Yeah. This is like nonstop hits in the, in the late mid to late 90s. But both games are very interested in being cinematic and being mm-hmm. like prioritizing the spectacle of the fight over like the strategy in some ways. So there's definitely like you have to think about what will work best. But most of the time, at least for me, my decision was like, what will look the coolest? Like, <laughs> like what will be like the most fun to watch? Yes. Because ultimately, like if you kind of boil it down, like a lot of the moves will do a similar amount of damage to each other. So it's really like who's available to attack. The most you have to think about is like, there are definitely elemental things happening in, in some of the boss fights. So like you definitely have to be thoughtful, but overall it lets you kind of have your own creative flavor over how the battles go, where it's like, I want to have these characters doing these moves together and it's always it's always like very creative and fun to see what they end up doing you know like yeah my favorite is uh frog and ayla who's this medieval frog and this prehistoric cavewoman he just puts her in a bubble and she's like pumped and like waiting to like drop on the enemy and then it just pops and she just like kicks the shit out of them it's like so stupid but yeah it like works and that's part of the charm of the game i think is like a large part of that is credit to akira chayama's art but i think that like the game's combat has a sense of humor that I think adds a lot of levity to even the more like harrowing fights and it makes you really like get a sense of who these characters are and adds to the feeling of ensemble. When you see them fight together in that way.
0: Yeah, there there are a lot of mechanical kind of dives into that sense of ensemble and the relationship between the characters as well, which I think is really smart. So like you have obviously your experience points that you get when you complete every battle, but there's this other thing that's called TP, which is, I guess, technical points. And that, that builds up independently from your experience. Like you can level up as much as you want, but unless two characters are fighting together, they might not unlock the, uh, the, the techs that use the two of them, which I think is like really cool and really interesting. So you are kind of incentivized to be constantly swapping characters out. And I think there's a word you used before. And in relation to the side of the designers, which is creativity, which I actually think is kind of something that they impart onto you as the player as well, which I think is a really strong design move. Again, Sakaguchi, very smart game designer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I think the ability to get creative in the attacks you use in what order, who's in your party at what time, you know, which which two people do I want to see hanging out together and which two people do I do I want to invest time in to see like how they interact with one another is really cool and like i'm probably going to say this a lot but i'll try not to but like in 1995 that is a wild thing to have like built into the game and have it be this successful it's really impressive it almost feels mass effecty in a certain regard yeah and that is
1: is very cool it is very cool and i think i think a lot of this game benefits from being deceptively simple where it's like you have these yes. Six characters, you'll probably focus on you know three or four of them, but you have this myriad of of combinations, which makes like playthroughs already a thing you'll want to do. Like the confidence this game has that they like know you're gonna come back in like every way is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And you also have throughout the game, you'll find items that will boost certain stats permanently. So like you can power up magic, speed, attack, whatever. And I mostly ignore that but there is a playthrough where you could be like you know what I want to power up the the character because there are characters that are specifically geared towards one role like Ayla is is she can't use magic so she's already kind of limited to what she can do yeah but the characters like Robo and Frog who are a little bit more jack-of-all-trades like you can use those those items to really kind of build them in your own way almost akin to like pokemon where it's like i want to train this character to be this role yeah and that's a whole other layer that like you can ignore or really dive deep in and i think that this game does meet you at where you want it to because like there's a playthrough where you just go through the story and then you know without spoiling at the very end it opens up in a way where like the game literally tells you like okay cool like you can either go to the final boss or hear all the other side quests you can do and you could just go to the boss and, and you know, get that ending um, or you can invest in that and like really start to dive deeper into the narrative, into the history of this world. Yeah. Uh, dive deeper into the characters relationships with each other. They're giving you just enough of everything that again, going back to what I said about like leaving the game with a feeling. It's like depending on like what kind of resonates with you, it's like this game is capturing a lot of different moods and a lot of different things, even though it's structured as like a very simple bedtime story, like kids coloring book kind of flavor
0: yeah yeah i i th- honestly i think one of the things for me about this game that kept me coming back and one of the things that i'm like almost disappointed pointed by now that I've played this game and, like, knowing that I'm going to go play other RPGs that are not like this is its simplicity. I think, like, so frequently, like, I, I've been talking about the Tokyo RPG Factory games a lot recently on the show uh, via I Am Setsuna and Lost Fear, and both of those games, heavy inspiration from Chrono Trigger, and both of them really, unfortunately, I think, are so mired in all of these, like, extra complexities in combat that, like, don't serve anything or anyone, really. They're not even, like... They're not a fun expression of the player's creativity. They're just another thing you have to manage. And honestly, that's a thing that has become more prevalent in games like Final Fantasy and games like Dragon Quest at this point. Like Dragon Quest, as simple as it's, tried to keep itself over the years they have added more and more complexities and more things that you need to be managing alongside just the standard fare for an rpg and what corona trigger is so fucking good at and i'm so upset that nobody else has really taken this lesson from it specifically is like it's okay that it's just like attack use a cool move or use an item like that's yeah, fine right. actually that's right. totally cool it's totally cool that the only stats that i have to manage are like speed strength and and magic like yeah that's also great like i don't need to be managing like you know materia i don't need to be equipping and unequipping uh skills here and there like as long as everything that is there is there for a reason and is manageable and doesn't feel like i need to like pull out a fucking abacus to be able to play it then like <laughs> that's good and that's yeah. one of the things that I think is so interesting about this game is like that simplicity that almost like as we talked about in the Ico and Shadow of the Colossus bonus that almost like designed by subtraction in a sense like that doesn't feel yes. like they designed by subtraction it just feels like these people were so smart when they were making the thing that they just like intuitively knew because they had made games like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest that they were like it's actually more interesting if we just remove all of those things and we just tell a good story and like the game getting it out of its own way to tell a story and to like let you exist with characters that are fun and cool to be around that's all i want out of video games like to be perfectly clear i like mechanics like i am a person who i think is more mechanic focused than story focused but at the end of the day like i just i want mechanics that are fun and interesting and not ones that feel like they're there just to be there just so they can say that they had a complex and interesting idea even though it doesn't serve anything totally at the end totally. of the day chrono trigger is about experiencing the story which we haven't even started talking about just to be clear but yeah. like That's what Chrono Trigger is about. They just made sure that it was really fun and really seamless to work your way in between narrative moments.
1: That's so well said. I'm really glad you felt that way about it. And I think you're so right. I mean, it it, it goes back to what we always say of like, what is the intention of the game and what serves that? And whether or not that's designed by subtraction, it's like this game knows what its goal is, like you just said, and everything is there to aid that other than the one future dungeon that's kind of confusing. That's like it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I think, I mean, like, you know, it's like, I think to, uh, to, to explore other games, like, you know, a game like Shimagami Tensei, which is almost the opposite or that series where it's like, a lot of those games are all about the sort of complex systems at work and sort of like the players mastery over them over time. Like that's great. And, And I think the best games in that series are the ones that just let you do that and don't even worry about story. Yeah. So like. I think that like I really want to like focus on like what what experience is this game trying to provide and, and what's there that's providing it but I think you're right like especially with RPGs there's so much pressure to kind of be everything a lot of RPGs suffer from sort of like last act we've got to make the narrative and the mechanics larger than life and like you don't need to do that. I think like so many games would benefit from just focusing on what was working initially. You know, I think we've talked a lot about RPGs that kind of like go off the rails at the end or like focus on the wrong things. And I think Chrono Trigger is like just the gold standard of that balance. And, you know, it it is a game that does kind of grow and expand as you play it, but it never becomes overwhelming. And And by the time you have more and more abilities, like it's over like the the minute it's about to become complicated you've you've won (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is kind of amazing yeah
0: Yeah, it's honestly one of the reasons i have so much respect for the tokyo rpg factory stuff because they're so blatantly like yeah chrono trigger worked and everybody likes it so we're just going to tell a different story with that framework and as i've already mentioned they kind of lost their way a little bit by adding a little bit too much complexity to the combat but at the end of the day I mean like those games do play a lot like Chrono Trigger just with a completely sure. different story involved you know new characters new world new things to do but you know they're just kind of harkening back to what Chrono Trigger did really well in that simplicity and I, I appreciate that because I feel like so frequently I will go into a new RPG and sit down and you know spend so much time through tutorialization and text boxes and, and uh, like Menus and stuff trying to learn, like the cool new twists that they've added to combat this time. It's like, I, I very infrequently need that very infrequently do i feel like now that i've learned x system i'm enjoying the game more (laughs) um you know and and that's kind of how i feel about like persona and Shimigami tensei for example which are games that i feel like i should really like but they're just so complex that i like completely detached from what's going on narratively because i spend so much time thinking about what's going on mechanically and i think you're right that smt kind of like almost gets the balance right by being so not focused on story at any point that like they just want you to play around and excel for a while but like <laughs> that's not that's definitely not for everybody you know course, and, and i think course. what like kind of
1: is for everybody is just like hearing a nice story before you go to bed yeah absolutely i mean th- this this story is accessible for most ages i would say i i think that like some of it gets a little bit heavy but i think like it definitely has a welcoming tone and appearance but like it will just sort of lightly touch on ideas that are very big and very heavy and yeah. like i think what i love about this game is that again it doesn't spell everything out it doesn't it isn't like oh so that's who god is it's mm-hmm. like no and we can just like we can just leave you with a cool question and move on because like these characters don't know everything you know they're not going to find out everything they're just going to do their mission yeah yeah and i think you're right weirdly to compare it to mass effect because it does have that that sort of ensemble focus even though it's not like as in depth (laughs) Yeah, although what i would give for like a cinematic one-on-one with robo and at the end of time that would be that yeah. would be my dream. There, There is a sequence in this game that I would consider to be like the Citadel
0: sequence of Chrono Trigger. Mm. Oh, you know, I'm excited to hear what that is. You yeah. already know what it is, but it, we'll, we'll get to it later. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I don't even know what else to say about this game. Uh, for those of you who haven't played it yet, uh, you know, spoilers aside, I guess it's probably just worth mentioning. You're a guy named Chrono. You're traveling through time with a bunch of people to save a calamity or to save the world from a calamity. And I feel like that's like probably it. And it's actually good that... The, Story is that simple. I I think uh, we can dive in a little bit deeper. What I think is interesting is you have the kind of Yuji Horii Dragon Quest brilliance of like the game is broken up into chapters and what's really wonderful about this game again I mean it's not a spoiler to say you're traveling through time and you're going to different time periods but those time periods all kind of play like episodes of a TV show and as you continue to revisit those time periods throughout the game you know okay you'll go to the prehistoric era you'll go to the future you'll go to the middle ages whatever as you continue to like revisit those places and see what's changed or whatever each of those experiences is going to play like another episode of a TV show and it makes the game really bite-sized and really playable in the way that I have experienced Dragon Quest. It's one of the reasons I love Dragon Quest so much is because like I can sit down and play it for half an hour, feel like I've accomplished something and then go to sleep and then play it again the next day. Chrono Trigger is that, but instead of a 180 hour story, it is instead like a 20 to 25 hour story.
1: Yeah, it it does more in that time than most games do in like 50, you know? And I think like, I think this game could have been longer and probably could have pulled it off But I think there's so much power in just like ending it right where it does. You know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And it also invites you to return to it. Because there's so many, even if you get the same ending, which, you know, more on that later. But even if you get the same (laughs) ending, you might play with different characters. You might like notice different things. There's so much going on. Like even outside of the main plot, there are so many like, there's a lot of attention to just the townspeople of various areas. And there are like characters there that like if you're paying attention you'll notice like oh wait in in the middle ages in that area there's something going on that's like kind of related yeah. you know and, and that's that's really cool like I love how interwoven everything is like obviously it's connected because it's time travel but they've really had fun with the concept I think the game was a good job being like okay it's back to the future rules and here we go. Like yes. they establish very quickly what their rules are and they're playing kind of fast and loose with it, but you don't really, I'm not one who like likes to poke holes and things. I think they do a pretty good job overall, like keeping it pretty simple. It, it almost always feels like you're going to a different place than like mm-hmm. a different time. If that makes sense. Like you said, each era is its own episode and each era is like so distinct and so cool. And the characters you meet from those time periods, like, they all are like the best idea for a character from that time you know it's like who is who is the character from the the prehistoric period who's the character from the middle ages who's the future character like it's the best thing you could come up with the best yeah. character you could come up with and even outside
0: of the party members all the people in all the different time periods are like fascinating like I spent oh my god I yeah. spent uh, so I, I clocked in at just about I would say 30 hours by the time I was done and, and that's you know partially because this is my first time playing it's so like I didn't always know what to do so I was just kind of run around and talking to people but also i was just running around and talking to people and that's like half of what the game wants you to do anyway because as you run around you like interact with all the villagers or all the people who live in all the different places throughout all the different time periods not only will you learn a lot about that time period you'll get like stupid uh, you know kind of uh, dragon ball-y kind of jokes um you know like silly uh dragon quest-y kind of stuff but you also every once in a while will like accidentally influence the future by talking to somebody in the past like things will just happen as you continue to play and I don't want to say too much more than that until we get to spoilers because I think there's a there's a magic trick that this game pulls that everybody always talks about that is like one of the best game design moments I think like maybe of all time and specifically I would say the first three eras that you visit which I would just wrap up and say like the first like three episodes of the Chrono Trigger TV show in a sense present what is like maybe the most interesting like inciting event first piece of an act of a video game like ever. Like, I think they do some wildly interesting stuff. It feels like a masterclass in game design, what they do with the story and with the mechanics in the beginning of the game. Um, And I kind of can't wait to talk about that. And I feel like people who've played the game already know what I'm talking about, probably. But it is shocking what they're able to pull off pretty early on in this game. And then to manage to like make good on the promises in that early bit for the next, you know, potentially 27 hours is a Pretty wild. But again, just to be clear, I took a lot longer than I think most people normally take when they play through this game. But that's usually yeah. that's usually my MO. If you've listened to the show for long enough, you know that I always <laughs> take way longer to play these games. Cause I just am like, oh, let me just hang out over here. Let me just look at these waves for a little while. Let me listen to this music.
1: I, I had a similar time. I think I was closer to twenty five hours, but I also did everything. I did pretty much every available side quest. So like if you just mainline this game, it's like less than twenty easily. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I think you'll want to replay, and the game will almost like challenge you to replay it in some ways, which is funny. Yeah,
0: we we haven't mentioned this, but there is a new game plus in this game, and I think it's like Mm -hmm. one of the first games ever to have new game plus in this sense, where like it keeps track of all the endings that you've gotten, and there are a bunch of them. I think what there's twelve in this, and then there's thirteen on the DS. They they added one extra ending for the DS version for the for the DS version. Yes, um, so there are a lot of end. I mean, in 1995 on the Super Nintendo, there were twelve endings in New Game Plus, which is is like a wild thing to have in a jrpg but yeah
1: i wonder if this was influential for yokotaro it had to be because i feel like his whole like it feels like he took that part of this game and just ran with it <laughs> like he's yeah. like i'm just gonna focus entirely on that aspect and like how can i evolve and devolve the multiple ending concept to like make a work of art
0: i um, na- yeah retrospectively you know having played near automata uh for the podcast and now having played chrono trigger i would go back and add an addendum to our Near Automata episode and say like apps of fucking lootly not only was it inspired by, but I think the multiple endings are a direct reference to Chrono Trigger.
1: I think so, yeah. And I think that like whereas Chrono Trigger invites you to replay it, Near Automata demands you replay yes. it. Yes. So, you know, there's there's a conversation there, but ultimately, I mean, we both love that game as well. So anyway, before we get too off track, I think this might be a good time to segue into spoilers because we're we're getting geared up for the story. But we got a bunch of really great listener questions that we're gonna tackle mostly at the end of the episode but there were a couple that i think relate to what we've been talking about now do you want to bring any up before we i do yeah yeah Yeah. we
0: we got two that are kind of uh, in the same vein i think it's maybe worth like going a little bit more in depth into why this is um but this is uh from peppermint pier and then there's another one from uh press start pod both on twitter um, Peppermint Pierre asked what's the best way a newbie can experience Chrono Trigger. Press Star Pod said I heard you guys were playing on the Nintendo DS version. How does it compare to past playthroughs of other versions of the game, which I think you'd be able to answer, but I'll I'll just say like uh, on the top because I kind of uh, started getting into it and then I think I got really sidetracked, so let's double back. Um, this game is available in a lot of places, but the reason that I played the DS version specifically was A, we have a big episode that we're doing about the entire Nintendo DS library that's coming in <laughs> June that we're gearing up for and uh, a lot of people said this was the best version so I was like okay well I'll just say yes to that then and play it on the DS so having it portable obviously great I played it in bed I played it uh, in the bathroom I played it uh, while walking around it's wonderful to have Chrono Trigger on the Nintendo DS Uh, but on top of that it adds all of the animated Akira Toriyama cutscenes from the PS1 version which is pretty wild it doesn't have any of the slowdown of the PS1 version adds a bunch of extra content as well including as you already mentioned a 13th ending and a bunch of I I think there's an extra side quest and then a bunch of extra stuff like the arena for example which is not at all what I thought they meant when they said the (laughs) arena just to be clear we can get into that later if we want but it just seems like it's the most feature rich version and it's portable so like yeah everything that you could possibly want about it
1: i would say like in terms of the best version i mean obviously not playstation so the ds version is almost entirely the same game and the extra stuff is like really optional like it doesn't get in the way of the core experience at all so it's just sort of there if you want it which is great yeah the one big difference is that they had different localization teams So the localization of the DS version is much closer to the original Japanese script and the localization of the Super Nintendo version took more creative liberties. I've read a lot of conversations about this and I think that there's no right answer over like which is better because I think it boils down to like which one you experienced first and which one you like know, especially because there's no voice acting. Like that is the story for you. So if you grew up with the Super Nintendo one, you're going to prefer that one. The big thing is like Frog, for example, in the Super Nintendo one, he always speaks in like these and thous in like a very kind of flowery Shakespearean accent. And like, yeah. it's a fun detail, but it does kind of make his character goofier than I think he should be. In the mm. DS version, he feels much more grounded. And I've seen the DS localization being criticized for like not being creative enough like being too kind of by the script which I think that's a that's a big conversation I think that like localizing anything is a really fascinating process to me I don't really know anything about what that process looks like but I, I think that there's a lot of uh, debate over like how do you translate this not only just like word for word but like how do you translate the meaning of this mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think right. just like by virtue of being closer to the intended script I would say that that's probably just the better version I will say that if you have no pride like attachments either you're not going to notice it like you're not going to be like this is x or y it's just going to be the game so i think the ds1 overall i would say is the better translation but you know people prefer one over the other but ultimately i think just the ds1 there's like for all the reasons you just listed it's just easier to get and it is getting more expensive if you, if you buy the cartridge so like it's cheaper than the super nintendo one <laughs> right but uh, it seems like if you want to get on ds like this is probably the last year you can realistically get it for like a decent price <laughs> so definitely jump on that otherwise the there are other options obviously
0: yeah so that's what i was gonna say so like a lot of the comparison generally if you were to google this online which i did when we were first talking about doing this is like okay well definitely don't play the ps1 version which you know in in all universes is the worst version to play (laughs) clearly apparently to most people um so it really comes down to the super nintendo or the uh ds version honestly like you can't discount the ios and steam versions as well i I think that those two versions like must be in the conversation because there is no more convenient way to play this game than on your phone that you already have in your pocket and like every phone can run this game if you have ios or android it's on both and the version is pretty good the only like big thing is the thing that most people don't like which is um that the ui is more like touch-based which means that the fonts are not like pixel fonts instead they are like Arial and helvetica depending on you know what phone you're using and that clash between ui and game i think can throw some people off in a lot of instances but also if it's like the way you play games then obviously that's the way you should play it but also having it in your pocket at all times is great and the ds version is fucking expensive and the one on ios is like eight dollars so like yeah
1: right it's a great point
0: just get that it's great i the furthest i've ever gotten in chrono trigger before this was on the ios version uh because it was in my pocket and it meant that i could play it at all times like whenever i was commuting to and from work and stuff i would play it on the train so like that's great it's great that that's available and that's playable i i I don't think you should listen to the hordes of people online who are like don't play this because the font is helvetica like that's not a reason to not (laughs) experience an incredible story and one of the best games of all time and i don't think the font is the reason that it's held up on a pedestal I think it helps,
1: but it's not the reason, you know, not to not to unconsciously pressure you into spending seventy dollars. But another cool thing about the DS version <laughs> is that uh, you can play it like you can select if you want to play in DS mode yes, or in I love original this. mode. And the DS mode like basically puts all the menus and the commands on the lower screen. And it really it's really nice because it unclutters the action. So you like a really clear view of what's happening and you can do all your stratagems on the lower screen. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful.
0: Or you can switch to the Super Nintendo version, which is the opposite of that, which essentially turns it into exactly what you would see in the Super Nintendo or iOS version where all of your commands and all of that stuff is happening on the top screen, which I actually did find myself switching back and forth every once in a while, which I was kind of surprised by. There would be some areas where I'd be running around and I would jump into the Super Nintendo version instead, which is kind of fun. I, I thought that it was cool um and then of course there's the steam version which is available and probably moddable and uh i'm sure because it's moddable you can swap back and forth between frog's original translation and the new one and etc etc that is maybe you know a way to play if you're a person who likes to sit down at their computer and play video games like you could also do that but generally speaking to end this entire long thing about different versions we played the ds version it was fucking sick yeah it's really good (laughs) it's really good Uh, yeah
1: so that's it that's it, baby. Um, That's it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Before we started recording, Brendan went, "Yeah, yeah, it's good." But have you played? I like part of me just wanted to have this whole episode be, "Yeah, yeah, it's good," and then just cut it, <laughs> keep it short and sweet like the game, you know. So uh, yeah, we have a bunch of other questions. I think I want to save them for later. Absolutely, we have a lot of really good ones. Thank you to those who sent us their questions. Yeah. So do you want to take a break and then do spoilers? I think we're we're ready. I do. I do want to take a break. So, yeah, when we come back from the break, we are going
0: to talk about the game. We're probably not going to immediately dive into, like, the shit that happens. but 1000
1: I- AD, three teenagers had no idea what awaited them at the fair.
0: Wow. That was, that was yeah. a little uh, tight to see.
1: <laughs> it was. <laughs> you just go to the fair and it's like,
0: this is my story. He, like, not <laughs> just thrown out of the way. <laughs> when we come back from the break, full spoilers.
1: This is my spoiler. Bye. (laughs) And we're back, dear listener and dear Brendan we are in spoiler territory so your last war it feels weird to say warning but just a heads up uh we are about to talk about everything in the game plot wise uh it will be spoiler centric for chrono trigger i'll do my best to not spoil chrono cross that's a promise i'm making now i might break it but chrono trigger spoiled i'm gonna be i will be upset with you if you spoil chrono cross to me in this recording session (laughs) I'll try not to. <laughs> okay, so here we are. I wanted to follow up. You so beautifully painted the picture of like the opening beats of the game. And I kind of wanted to go back and talk about the inciting event of the game a little bit, which, as you mentioned, is you know, the whole game is a group of people time traveling to prevent a calamity from happening. But the way you discover that, I think, is really powerful. So essentially, The game begins in the present, which I feel like has become the 90s, but it's very funny that it's the present. Like, yeah, this is a 90s vibe to the present, but you're in what is recognizable as a present timeline, 1000 AD, as they call it. Very kind of familiar JRPG opening, like you wake up, your mom's like, time to wake up, sleepyhead. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting because it opens kind of very generically, but I think it immediately kind of subverts tropes of the time where normally there's this idea of like you have this opening uh, a sense of home and then home is destroyed in some way mm. and this game does follow those beats but i think it does it in a way where it carries more meaning isn't isn't just going through the motions so mm. ultimately just to kind of get through a little bit your chrono Uh, You go to this fair, you bump into this girl who may or may not be the princess in disguise who just wants to like hang out and let go of the regal obligations. And I think the, the first kind of moment where the game is is doing something a little bit different is that they just let you like hang out in the fair. Like you can kind of just enjoy this fair at your own pace, and there's so much to do, and there continues to be so much to do at this fair <laughs> through the whole game. This yeah. is like a, this is a central location.
0: The fair eventually is integral to the plot of the video yes. game, too, which is pretty wild. <laughs> and it's also worth mentioning you don't even have to go to the fair in the beginning, which was I think the thing for me oh, wow. for me on this playthrough that was like the most kind of eye-opening was like every time I've tried playing this game in the past, I would just go to the fair and hang out and do all the fair stuff. But this time I was like, what if I just didn't? (laughs) <laughs> I, just, yeah. <laughs> I just walked around the continent and like went into every house. I went down to that southern continent where everybody's like, I hate my dad, who's the mayor. Oh, yeah, the mayor sucks. Yeah, yeah he's a, a horrible person. But like you can have that whole experience and like learn that the mayor sucks in your first like 15 minutes of playing the game, which I thought was pretty <laughs> wild. Um, I also it, it's worth mentioning that Chrono is a silent protagonist, which I, I think works in this game for the most part. But there are a lot of instances, especially once you get further into the game where I started to be. Be, like that became one of the things that I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is working as well as they wanted to, because there are certain moments, especially just considering how strong the writing is for all the other characters, where I really wish that Chrono had a personality of his own, because at the moment he's like Goku with red hair who
1: actually learned to shut the fuck up, but like. <laughs> It turns out that what you like about Goku is that he doesn't shut the fuck up. And there's, there, there are moments where he does talk. Yes, and it's understood that like people are hearing what he's saying. And I think you're right. Jumping ahead a bit, but there's a point where you can actually you don't need to have Chrono in your party. And I did a couple missions without him just so I would get more voices at the table. Yes, like, me too. At a certain point, Frog became the leader for like a while. Yeah, same with me. Yeah. But anyway, the beginning hour, you bump into uh, this young girl named Marley. Or is it Marle? I always read it as Marley. Oh, really? I was always Marle. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: If you and I differ, then I imagine a lot of other people out there differ. So get mad at whoever you want, dear
1: listener. It's not her real name anyway. She's a princess (laughs) in disguise. (laughs) But uh, so you explore the fair. You can explore the world at your heart's content. Eventually, uh, you stumble upon your neighbor and childhood friends exhibit at the fair. Uh, Your friend is this brilliant scientist named Luca, who I adore. And she has invented like Star Trek beaming, which like no one is excited (laughs) enough about at this fair. She's just like, yeah, like I just invented, you know, beam me up Scotty technology. Yeah. And Marley is like, oh, cool. Like, I want to try. Let's do it. And the... The teleporter starts reacting weirdly with her necklace and through mysterious reasons, it opens this like vortex that she gets sucked into and everyone's like, oh shit, we gotta go rescue her. So you and Luca go after her. Mm -hmm. And it turns out you have accidentally invented a time machine, uh, or at least you've opened a vortex that takes you back to the Middle Ages. And this is the chapter uh, where they kind of explain the rules of time travel. Also worth noting, the fair was to celebrate like, you know, 1000 years of peace in this kingdom. So the, the fair is actually kind of setting up the time travel idea because a lot of the different tents and games all kind of like nod at a different era. Like, mm-hmm. there's a part where people are dancing to, like, kind of Stone Age music and, and attire. Um And it's a very, like, cartoonified version of history. So, you know, Middle Ages is, like, knights and dragons. And yeah. So it has a little bit of all of that, including... A robot named Gato that yes Luca invented, uh that you can fight and sings. And I think you had you had a funny take on Gato, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we we, I, we can get to Gato sure. later, but I think in this instance specifically, I knew that there was a character named Robo who joins your party, and I was one hundred percent certain that Gato was Robo. Like I <laughs> I did I didn't I didn't realize that Robo was a different character than Gato, so I was so excited to meet Gato and then fight them and be like, Wow, I love this character. So excited for them to join the party later and then to find out that it wasn't was almost disappointing and then <laughs> I neglected Robo for a while because Robo wasn't Gato and then eventually grew to love Robo because how could you not? There's only
1: one Gato. I mean, Gato really does set up a spotlight. There's not that
0: though because there are more Gatos at the true. end of the game that you have that's to fight. <laughs>
1: There are, there's only five Gatos. Yeah. Four of them are blue and one of them is the red nice one. There's the only fair. one red nice Gato. So in the <laughs> Middle Ages, you go and you find out, that's kind of where you find out that that Marley is this princess because she like meets her ancestors in this castle. Yeah. And then she disappears because you learn that the queen has been kidnapped And Marley disappears. And then they kind of do this quick, like, time travel 101 grandfather paradox of, like, if the queen gets captured like we've already kind of affected time in a way where like we've thrown off like who's gonna save her mm-hmm. so if she's not saved then that lineage doesn't exist and that's why Marley is temporarily like out of existence right so we can affect history it's a very simple and kind of almost weirdly humorous moment even though like very high stakes But yeah. they explain it in a way where like goblins are like going like na 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 the yeah. camera <laughs> um but it really does like set like that is like the the one rule you need to know for the rest of the story to make sense yeah you know so essentially through that chapter you go and you rescue the queen and that's where you meet frog who is this like really chivalrous like don quixote knight who was cursed to be a frog but you don't really know why yet and uh i think this is where like these early hours of the game, they're just sort of showing you like what you can look forward to. Like he doesn't join the party right away. He just helps you save the queen and then he leaves. Right. And at this point, like time travel is just fun. Like they, you know, Marley temporarily was in a void of of nothingness. But now that she's back, everyone's like, that was awesome. Let's do it again. Yeah, what a cool adventure we went on. Yeah. And there are events that happen in between this that we might talk more about, but essentially a few beats after saving Marley, you end up going to the future and it's this like post apocalyptic, awful place, like very like Mad Max in the Ice Age kind of vibes. Yeah. And you learn that in 1999, there was this event you see, like in one of the kind of abandoned domes, you find footage of. Of like I think it's like called like the day of the calamity or something. and you see 1999. 1999 uh, you see this like parasitic almost mountainous thing break out from underground and shoot all these like needles into the sky and everything starts blowing up. It's, it's, it's genuinely scary. Even, even with this sort of like limited presentation, like it's the first time the game gets, even, even with Marley's uh, chapter where like, you obviously want to save her and there's severely high stakes. You kind of know you're going to save her. So you're not like worried. Yeah. But seeing that footage, it's the first time the player and the characters are like, oh, there's a darkness to this world that we have not seen yet. Mm -hmm. And I think, so they essentially see this, they're horrified, but then they're like, wait a minute, with our power of going through these weird vortexes, we can change history. We can prevent this from happening the same way we save Marley. Yeah. And it's a very nice moment. It's a very simple setup for the adventure. But I think it's also deceptively simple because that is such a great way. Like even just that moment, I think, separates this game from so many others and so many other stories where it's like, these are characters that are seeing... A lot
0: of other time travel stories, just to be clear, also. Like yeah. so many stories about time travel get so mired in explaining rules and like oh this plot hole or like this this uh, loophole in the rule is actually the reason we're going to be able to solve everything it's like no 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 the rule is if you do something in the past it changes the future and then there's a bad thing that happens in the future and that's it it's
1: great so fucking simple exactly it's and it's only simple but it's also like the thing that really sticks with me is like this is an event that is happening 900 years after these characters will be dead like yeah. There, if other characters saw this, they would probably just want to get back to their timeline and forget about it. Mm. And the fact that they point. see this event that affects a world that they won't be alive to see, but still feel like the instant desire to be like, we can change this. We have to change this. Is re- like there's no one telling them you're the hero. You're the chosen one. There's no like call to action other than the action they give themselves by seeing this. And that's really cool. Like I really find that so inspiring. That it's a self given quest for all of these characters
0: if there are some green alarm bells going off in your head dear listener <laughs> yes it's a global warming allegory baby and yeah. this is like i i find this really interesting because of of the people in the dream team the person who i'd point to and say like they're the one who always does the global warming allegory is is Sakaguchi who yeah. just you know designed this game like maybe had some something to say about the like overall plotting of it but like really it was Yuji hori that wrote the whole thing. And Yuji hori's jam when it comes to writing Dragon Quest is just like high fantasy bedtime story, you know, like generally yeah. speaking. We've you and I have played a lot of Dragon Quest games at this point. Generally speaking are not <laughs> super like thematically rich uh when it comes to like an overall plot as much as it is thematically rich for the individual characters that you get to run yes. into and experience and hang out with. So kind of an interesting turn for Yuji Horii to be the one writing this kind of story with this kind of like inspiring overture hanging over the whole thing. But yeah, it it, it becomes much more literal later, but you're right. I think this is the earliest moment where like if, if you're really thinking about it, it'll click for you there, which is cool.
1: Yeah, and I, I just think that that unites the team in a very meaningful way. And it's also interesting to think about like FF6, Chrono Trigger, and FF7 all sort of tackle these themes in different ways Yeah, where they're all very interested in saving the planet in a very literal way. I think what I love about games like Chrono Trigger and Chrono Trigger specifically is like it is tackling real themes through the filter of fantasy. Yeah. I mean I think that's where we get into the fact that this game kind of exhibits the best of both series Mm -hmm. where like you have that like very simple framing of Yuji Horii's script plus the like I ideas from Masato Kato and, and Sakaguchi being like, what if we explored these like kind of bigger ideas? Because I think, you know, Final Fantasy, by contrast, is always about trying new things and like trying to tell ambitious stories. I mean, this is after four, five and six, which five was like a more lighthearted entry, but four and six are both games that like, especially around when four came out, there was no game tackling narrative in that way. Yeah. You know, making you play as the villain. For the first hour or having the villain win. You know, it's like (laughs) those games are interested in evil in a very fascinating way. And Mm -hmm. I think the way evil manifests in Chrono Trigger is also very interesting. Because, like, most of the time, like in almost every time period, the people you meet are incredible. So it's like, yeah, why like and I think Lavos, which is the name of the alien parasite that comes from underground. I think it's very purposeful. The first time we see Lavos, it's emerging from underground. It's something that has been there mm. this whole time. Even though it, it comes from outer space and it's this unknowable parasite that landed on Earth in the BC era, like visually the the implication that like this is something that has gone ignored, global warming, mm-hmm. but also something within us like we all have the capability of letting this evil surface if we don't acknowledge it yeah like there's a lot like i don't even know how much of this was intentional and how much of it is just like visually implied but i think that like when you do eventually meet some of the villains later i do think the game is saying like we all have a choice to make you know we can be like chrono and luca and marley who see this and say like absolutely not we're gonna stop that we can be the people who like fully embrace it and and want to use it to become more powerful mm. or the people that are like kind of can place in a feel powerless but then become inspired by people like colonel marley luca and friends yeah it's very cool there's another
0: story beat that happens in between uh yes in between the middle ages and this that i think is interesting and and i think these three bits kind of encompass what i would call the beginning of the game but um once you return with Marl from the past uh, and 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 take her back to the present and take her back to the castle because it's like, hey, I saved the princess. Cool. Let me bring her back home. Once you walk in the door immediately, you get arrested. Um, And essentially the king and the chancellor to the king, like the the uh, person that the king bounces off of, um, is essentially like you kidnapped the princess and you're going to be put on trial for your crime. And, you know, Marl protests, but she and her father have a really bad relationship, so he doesn't really care or listen and chrono is a silent protagonist so he's not saying anything about it um and essentially you get brought into uh, a trial where i think this is what i would consider like the quote unquote magic trick of the video game but it also serves a really important purpose I think mechanically in terms of having the player buy into the idea of time travel. So essentially what happens is when you're put on trial, you are confronted with choices that you unknowingly made that the game was keeping track of while you were at the festival. And these things are like there is a kid whose cat goes missing. And if you can reunite them with their cat and you can make the kid happy and that's great. There's a guy who has his lunch just kind of like hanging out on a bench right outside of where you fight Gato and you can eat the lunch and that'll heal your MP. And your HP. And every time you go fight Gato, you can come back out and then eat the lunch again. So you can like continue to heal up and go and get points, like the silver points for the Millennium Fair over and over again by just doing that loop over and over again. Things like that, things like eating that guy's lunch or reuniting this kid with the cat or not, are things that the game is keeping track of. I think the biggest one in particular is right at the beginning of the game when Chrono runs into Marl, her pendant falls off of her neck and onto the ground. And if you go pick up the pendant before you talk to Marl, because, you know, it's this shining thing on the ground, of course you're going to go pick it up so you can return it to her. The game is keeping track of that. What happens in this trial is that all of that stuff is essentially used against you. So if you pick up the pendant before you pick up Marl, people are like, oh, you're just after her for her money. If you eat that guy's lunch, people are like, he fucking stole my food off of my plate (laughs) if you don't if you can hear the kid crying if you see the kid crying but you don't help them find their cat the game is keeping track of that and saying like you wouldn't even help this kid who was crying out like audibly and all of these things are used against you in this trial to eventually find you guilty of a crime that you obviously committed you obviously kidnapped this person because you've proven yourself to be a bad person the the funny twist of fate i guess here is like even if You uh, do all the right things and you're found not guilty. Uh, you're let off the hook, but then secretly jailed and sentenced to death anyway, Uh, you know, kind of under the table. But either way, the game having this scene and kind of proving that like, yes, we're keeping track of all of this stuff right after how you learn a whole lot about how time travel works and that your actions in the past have consequences of the future. You've now literally seen that play out just in the present by itself. Yeah. Knowing that the game is now keeping track of everything you do is going to put you more on guard and on edge as you're going further and further back into the past and changing things because you never you now from this point forward never know what the game is keeping track of because it's proven to you that you didn't know what it was keeping track of in the first place Um, and i think helping the player buy into the idea of your actions have consequences in any time period is really really strong so starting the game with You know, you have this fun adventure where you go save the princess that, you know, classic thing. You think you're supposed to save the princess, then getting punished for saving the princess, learning about time travel, learning that your actions have consequences, and then seeing that the world is going to end and thinking, oh, shit. Well, if the game is keeping track of all these things, then that means that there must be something I could do if I go back to the past to change this. Brilliant. It's like some yeah. of the best like narrative and game design fused together I've experienced ever in any game I've played up until this <laughs> point. And, and, and I think it just goes back to like how simple and elegant the whole thing is. None, yeah. you, you don't feel like you're being taught any of those things. They just all happen so seamlessly without any tutorialization or any explanation. Really, you just see them happen before your eyes and you immediately intuit what you're supposed to do next. And that is so smart. It's so well done.
1: Yeah. And a lot of and it's also like always fun, too, which is kind of a silly thing to say. But it's like I think when games get played with those tutorial boxes, it's like they're hoping like once you get all of this, then it's going to be fun. Like you're almost right. putting the fun off. <laughs> and it's like yes. they make that even if that trial goes awfully, you'll be laughing. You'll be like, oh, my God, I look so guilty. <laughs> you know, like it's going to be a fun moment. Yeah, exactly. The boss fight of that area, I think, is also a really great tutorial of like what are boss bosses like they have like multiple spots you can target you know mm-hmm. you fight mm-hmm. this like modern day dragon which i think is also kind of on point with this sort of like twist on convention uh you fight this dragon tank and you have to attack certain parts of it and of course someone leaves a note behind like don't tell anybody that the head is it's weak point or whatever it says Uh, i love notes like that so much yeah um yeah the the, the note is like um unless some
0: idiot runs up and tries to hit it with a sword it's indestructible
1: like it is specifically only susceptible to swords if that's that's something that I think this era of JRPGs has like going for it so strongly is the sense of humor that like it has to be kind of self aware in that way. Yeah. To like make sense of what's happening. Like it's not like diffusing the weight of the narrative or like making light of moments that are supposed to be heavy, mm-hmm. but it's acknowledging kind of how silly and fun it is in a way that is infectious.
0: Yeah. Right
1: and uh, yeah, the the first act is really strong. The, I think the point that that you mentioned earlier that like a lot of people bounce off of, and you bounce off of, was after you see Lava's destruction, that like it's just <laughs> they almost did too good of a job making that future bleak, and it's like hard to like navigate. Yeah. where to go and and the dungeon design of that specific chapter is like hard to make sense of a lot because a lot of the environments are very like busy with different devices and it looks cool but it's often hard to tell like where exactly to go and where you can go it actually is really helped by the ds version because you can always see a map of the area on the lower screen that like will show you where yeah. doors are and where things are so
0: i I do think that's the one point in the game though also where even the overworld is too complex and too open. Ob- Open, where like yeah. i i frequently didn't know what i was supposed to be doing i frequently didn't know where i was supposed to be going in the overworld side of things it was like i like just go into these different domes and talk to people and like try and figure out where to go oh okay now i'm supposed to go in the sewer then the sewer has a whole thing they're, the they're, sewer
1: is complicated yeah it's
0: all you also get into this bit where like you start to learn passwords to unlock things and the way you enter passwords is like really confusing and weird i i just think that it's like the weakest part of the game by far and luckily once you're done with this bit you i think you only go back for like a moment at one point to go do like, the other half of it and by then you're like powered up and you have a bunch of other characters and it's like fun
1: yeah i think they purposely don't stay in that setting for too long because that setting is more of a warning than it is a place that they want to explore that's
0: that's, i think where i would disagree because at least for me on my first time playing through because of the way it's designed that's the longest i spent in any chapter in the game like i had Uh, such a hard time making my way through it even if the actual acts you're supposed to play out are short and that area is supposed to be short that is the only point in the game that i feel like feels like a 1995 jrpg like it feels (laughs) no you're right hard to get through and and the only reason that i was able to push through it for this episode is because i just followed a guide because i was like i i know i know because i've tried playing this game before that i will bounce off of this if i don't know exactly what to do next and that's what i did this time and and again i mean it's like wildly rewarding to do that but i i do think it's like the the one weak point of the game it's the one doesn't all click for me and it feels its age and it feels like it's not as well thought out as everything else
1: yeah i agree i think the next place though is the stone age right oh it's the end of time the end of time is next the end of time is is one of my just favorite like settings in fiction it feels very hitchhiker's guide to me because it's this essentially (laughs) it's kind of the game's way of saying like you now have more than three characters we got to make sense of this Mm -hmm. but when i think it's when the three of you and robo Uh, who is now joining your party. Robo is this robot you encounter that's like broken down. And Luca is like, I want to fix this and see what happens. Yeah. And the minute you fix Robo, he's like down to hang out and help you. And he's a great character. And the two of them have a really fun relationship because it's not overtly said, but it feels like Luca is like a little bit of a loner. She's very like outspoken and very confident in moments, but like the, the game doesn't give, unless you have her in your party often, there aren't, like, as many direct moments with her with other characters. But I feel like there's, like, a kinship between her and Robo. And is mm. like, it feels a little bit almost like Calvin and Hobbesy, where she is like, made this friend for her. Absolutely, um, yeah. Either way, Robo, um, when he joins the party, you all go through this vortex. And you end up in this really mysterious place with really... One of my favorite songs in the game. It's a very, like, kind of relaxing but mysterious song. Yeah. And it's, like, there's this little, like cobblestone like a a part of a cobblestone street with a lantern and an old man with like like a bowler hat and a cane just directly under the lantern Mm -hmm. and he's like oh yeah welcome to the end of time like this is where like (laughs) all time (laughs) points meet and it's kind of just this sort of void of nothingness but feel free to hang out he's a kind of very uh he's the most like dark souls npc of the cast, where he's this sort of like he's not dour, but he's this kind of mysterious presence that sort of speaks cryptically.
0: Yeah, I did learn that he was supposed to be a play, or he was supposed to be a party member at one point. In, in oh really? Yeah, it, there, there was going to be a point towards the end of the game when he joins you. Uh, it becomes like a magic user. Oh, I would have loved that. that that's that been cool. really cool. Yeah,
1: I really like him. He's known as the old man for a lot of it. And eventually, you learn kind of who he is which is a really cool plot reveal but the area this is very mysterious like I, I love when rpgs have a sense of home like there's like a place that you can be like this is where i'm going to go kind of like mass effect where you go back to the normandy about like, the end of time is this really great kind of neutral place to go between missions and whoever's not in your party is just sort of like hanging out there and i always feel bad leaving them there because they all kind of look kind of bummed out when they're just like have to hang out at the end of time can i tell you my big
0: misstep playing this game because i didn't un- i didn't understand the systems and i i think that this visual in particular actually misled me so in that moment they're like hey you can only bring three people with you somebody's got to stay behind right and then you know you, you pick whoever's going to stay behind and they're hanging out there as you're saying they're just like hanging out at the end of time and as you're continuing to play the game whoever's not in your party at that time is like just kind of hanging out there. I didn't realize that technically everybody comes with you when you leave the end of time. I thought I was literally actually leaving people there and I couldn't switch my party unless I went to the end of time for like maybe five or six hours before I (laughs) I realized I could just like... Pause the game and go into the party menu when I was in the overworld, and then swap people out. I didn't realize that that was the case. Had no idea. Which it uh, took me
1: a while too. And that's another thing. Just another gem to throw at this game is like <laughs> the quality of life features are are dramatically modern. Like I feel like totally there are very few instances where like I feel like I'm I have to like start over because I couldn't save or I couldn't do what like before any big fight. There's usually a chance to rest or to like recuperate and to save Mm. there are much more modern games that don't have the same features yeah so wonderful but I I love the end of time and I love like just having that kind of mysterious home base and it's 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 the first time the game is like breaking out a little bit because I feel like as creative as it is the depictions of the middle ages and of the future are clearly like homages to almost genre in a way where it's like here's the sci-fi place here's the fantasy place right the end of time is like wholly unique and just like what what is this where am i you know and it's there are a couple more places like that but it's like oh okay this game has its own kind of creative voice adding to this sort of melting pot of genre yeah yeah the the end of time is a is a it's
0: it's fascinating I'm, i'm a big fan <laughs> um, after that, you end up going back to the Middle Ages um, to go do some stuff for Frog, which is fun. There's like a there's a bunch of stuff where there's like a, a hero who shows up, like like you know, kind of like bottle episode of the show in a sense. But you show up back in the Middle Ages, and there's like a hero who shows up, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the prophesized hero is here." How fucking sick is that? Um, you can like meet the dad of the hero, is like very proud, He's like my son grew up to be the hero, and then you find out like it actually just is a kid who like picked up, found a badge, yeah. found a badge, says like I'm a hero on it which is like hilarious and it turns out you know you go through all this stuff and frog found it like if if you're listening to this you probably already know all this stuff but the big thing about this section is that you run into uh, masa and moon who are two halves of what ends up being like a legendary sword essentially um which kind of sets you off on this whole thing to uh reforge the sword so like even up until this point you're like kind of standard like fantasy game fair in a sense, right? Is like, oh, we have to save the world. Okay, we have to find the hero. Oh, the hero is Frog. Oh, Frog has a sword of legend. Oh, the sword is broken. We need to go reforge the sword. That's what sends you back in time to the prehistoric era when the rock that you need, like the specific stone that is used to make this sword was still in abundance so you can go find some. So you have to go back in time to get... Like It all feels very like kind of by the numbers and it's so aided by the fact that all the characters are really great and all the writing is so great that doesn't feel like like wrote in any sense but i think the confidence in the I, the word of the night but the confidence in the simplicity of the story is that they can use that room to let everybody else express themselves and breathe which is really nice um but like even up until now i was like oh man, i really have to go reforge the sword okay and then run up and the sword is actually like two small alien people who like bounce back and <laughs> forth uh, and then fuse together to become like a kind of big, hulky strong man it was like hilarious. So weird. It was
1: amazing. And that's the thing about like, this the sort of act after the inciting event, like it on paper sounds like filler, but that's where we meet Ayla who's the character from the stone ages yeah and like her chapter and like the war between like the dinosaur people and the and the cave people and like who gets to kind of continue history also like seeing that's when lavos like lands on earth so like Mm -hmm. even in these kind of like seemingly sillier beats like we're getting a lot of character a lot of backstory and also lavos is like eerily kind of in the background of every beat like it's like yeah right it's never quite out of sight Out of mind, like it's always playing some kind of role. So like in the Stone Ages, like it's this thing that comes from the sky, ultimately seems partially responsible for the ice age, which is like really creepy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then on Frog's chapter, where you learn a little bit more about his backstory and how he was really good friends with this knight Cyrus, but it's implied that Frog or Glenn, as he used to be called when he was a human, it's implied that Glenn didn't become a knight because he was a pacifist. That he didn't want to, like, hurt people. Like, there's a a scene where he's being bullied as a little kid and Cyrus comes over and, like, you know, gets them away. And he's like, why don't you fight back? And he's like, well, I know how much it hurts to be hit. Like, I don't want to make someone else feel that way. Yeah. And eventually, Magus or Magus, I'm not sure which it is, but I always read it as Magus. I, I also say Magus um magus and his like magus is the i would say the first character who is being set up to be the big bad yeah he's this like edgelordy elf guy with the cloak that he holds like dracula and it's always like in the wind yeah vampire vegeta yeah and
0: uh i liked watching that click that was really fun to watch that click
1: (laughs) (laughs) please call me vv um (laughs) There's a moment where Cyrus is like going to battle Magus and Magus just like kills him and then just like as immediately, like a, yeah. It's yeah. As really like a joke brutal. turns Glenn into a frog. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad. And it really I think Frog is is the first character to get a story that feels like he's not just like a he's not just like a joke character that we met in passing. Like he has a backstory. He has like a reason for fighting now. And that transition between like I don't want to fight. I'm a pacifist to like I'm dealing with grief and I have to like avenge my friend yeah. is like really complicated and surprisingly heavy. That is actually one of the reasons I think the
0: next time I'm going to play this, I imagine I'll play this game again, just to be clear. But I, I, I think the next time I play this game, I'll probably play the Super Nintendo version because I'm really curious how well this whole section works with the original localization with the more like Shakespearean kind of flowery stuff, because I, I think you made a point before we started talking about spoilers that the DS version kind of like toning that down is almost better for the like tone of frog as, as a character. I I think I might, personally now having played the ds version i could see it being harder to be sympathetic to frog if his speech is essentially just written as like a bit the whole time you know like even yeah. even in this moment i imagine it is still that kind of like shakespearean prose and like is that is that necessary you know in in a game where nobody else speaks that way when i'm supposed to feel sympathetic and empathetic
1: for this person i don't, I don't know i don't know
0: how well that's going to land which is kind of why i'm curious to make that the next platform i play on
1: yeah i think it changes the vibe a little bit I think it's it makes him very Don Quixote where it feels like he's kind of in his own world and has his own perception on what a knight is because like no one else in the Middle Ages speaks that way. It's only him being like thou, thee, you know, so like. If that was your original time with the character, I can I can understand almost missing that. But I agree. I think that like in this moment in particular, I think it would be distracting. I think it would actually diffuse the moment in a way that like isn't successful. I think it could. And and, uh, look, again,
0: if you played this game for the first time on the Super Nintendo and you like Frog, for example, like that's because, you know, some of the later beats with Frog are like so stunningly well written that I'm sure even with that Shakespearean language, you end up like falling in love with that character. There there are things that happen later that make him such a sympathetic voice that, that I think, like, no matter what you did with the way he's speaking, it, it would still land. But in this moment in particular, I could see it not working as well in this, like, first flashback you get.
1: It is ironic, and this goes back to you wanting Chrono to have a voice, like... Frog is in many ways like the Dragon Quest hero. Like he, he oh, sort yeah, of is absolutely. like the leading character given a supporting role. Yeah, I think any of these characters could lead their own game, but you know, traditionally I, he has the whole like Arthurian legend thing going for him. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really loved this sort of part of the game of just getting to like, I think after that initial setup, they just get to have fun with more settings and going back to settings. And they really, you know, they flesh everyone out a little bit more. And I think the next moment where the game kind of like reveals even more magic tricks, quite literally, is when you get to the Kingdom of Zeal. Yeah, like there's a point where you're, you're you're pretty confident you've seen all the different time periods. Like, OK, we've, we've got Middle Ages, we've got present day, we've got the future, we got the past. You're also going back and forth between them a lot at this point. Like, yeah, you're you're kind of so well versed in your
0: ability to time travel because you have the end of time, which has this whole like section of it, which is just portals to different places. And you can also start unlocking like new portals that will take you to different parts of the different time periods, which is actually really helpful for like, OK, I need to go back to uh, I need to go back to the future uh very quick and like it would actually be easier to go in this portal in this portal to get to the place i like you're you're so well versed in the different areas and the different time periods that you know which portal to go into at what time so you're like yeah cool i have a handle on this i understand how this game works this is pretty sick that once you eventually end up uh you know some stuff happens in in the past that kind of leads to i i, I mean we could say it towards the end of um the like 65 million bc section it ends essentially with like this big boss battle that leads to the crashing of lavos like from space into the earth um, which essentially causes the ice age and the next place you go after that is the ice age you go from 65 million bc to twelve thousand bc in the midst of the ice age and i think it all started happening for me where I, I was like, okay, cool. I'm in the ice age. That's like a really weird place for me to go. And then like, I got z- zipped up into the sky and there's like, oh, there's a floating city in the sky. And I just started wa- walking around and talking to people. I was like, this is a weird place. And it took me like another 15 to 20 minutes of like wandering around the kingdom of zeal to kind of clock where I was in the time stream. Cause I was like, okay, yeah, this is the ice age. There's a weird floating city here. And it's more technologically advanced than anything I've seen so far. Oh, shit. This is wild. Like, I just had this moment where I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Where am I? I, And then you start running into, like, Masa and Moon who live there. There are news all over the place who are these, like, big kind of round uh, blue guys. Great music. Just, like, one of the wildest flexes like of pretty much everything that this game is good at, like all just happens at once here. It's like just like another kind of gigantic, huge swing that like totally fucking lands, even though it absolutely should not.
1: I, I think in a weaker game, this would have been introduced with a cutscene, and the whole cast would have been saying what you just said, like "Where are we? What is this?" <laughs> yeah. but like instead, they just fucking throw you in there and you literally like marvel i mean it's it's one of the most beautiful looking world maps like you're in yeah it weirdly kind of looks like our season two logo where there's the island in the sky yeah, but right. uh it's this there's like waterfalls and again it's like going back to what we said before and and this sort of like more uh direct like societal commentary the game has underneath it all like we're in the fucking ice age there are people living in the snow And then you get zipped up to this beautiful palace in the sky and everyone you talk to there is like a magician and scientist. And this is also, it's ironic because it's the first time the game I think is addressing like class imbalance directly, but it's also the first time the game is sharing its own history. Because up until now, like the game is kind of mirrored like the macro beats of Earth's history. But like this um, didn't happen in the United (laughs) States. Exactly. Uh, And it's like, oh yeah, I'm playing. Playing a JRPG fantasy game, like anything can happen. I, I I took several screenshots just talking to the people in Zeal, and I've been to Zeal before, and I've played this game many times, and it's inspiring and scary at the same time. Like it's beautiful and horrific. The fact that it can be both things like at once as you walk around, there's a building where everyone is asleep. Like there are researchers and there are, there are characters like in bed, which is interesting. They're all like obsessed with dreaming. And, Dreams, and, yeah. and and it seems like in
0: their sleep they're like philosophizing about life which is fascinating there's also so you have masa and moon who you know fuse together to make the the sword of legend but there seems to be like a third sibling there who does not fit into the naming structure who's just named Doreen uh who like <laughs> bounces around and like waxes poetic about stuff as well it's 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 a really like kind of like earth tilting experience to just kind of wander around that first room or that first building that you're talking about
1: yeah i think this is Doreen, but they say there are as many different worlds as there are observers yeah never assume that only those things which you can touch or see are real and like you're still processing where you are. And then someone just like slaps you with like the matrix. Like, Oh fuck. Yeah. All right. That is um, Doreen. Yeah. That, that, that's actually the, that's the first moment where I was like,
0: Oh, this game is also commenting on the genre as well. Or it's like, com- not even the genre, more the medium, um, which we'll get to later. Cause there's this lingering question about the game. I think by the end of it, that I, I feel like is just this big commentary on video games that I want to bring up when we get to it. Yes. But this is the first moment where I was like, is this game? curious about
1: the act of playing a video game because that's also a wild thing to be talking about 1995. That's the thing, too. And not only just with the music, but I also was surprised at how many links to Undertale I found when playing. Oh, this I'm Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, like Undertale is very familiar with like the golden age of jrpgs but I, I think that there's like stuff that this game is like kind of musing on and passing that i think we see more directly in mother 3 that we see in the spotlight in <laughs> undertale right uh which we'll probably get to later but again it's like even in the areas of the game was sort of like dipping a toe in the water it, that created a ripple effect that this game's influence on history is also in itself meta and talking about the story yeah but zeal is like. I think this is when everyone was like, "What if we all did our best work at the same time? (laughs) What if we just had the best song, the best story, beat, the best music, the best art direction?" And again, I think the fact that it's so beautiful, and then you immediately meet the strange blue-haired child that says, "Shortly, one of you will perish." Yeah, and there's actually that's one of the few moments where they give you a Toriyama cutscene. I I will say the anime cutscenes are not. By any means necessary but they they come up in the perfect moments they really do reinforce the beats that happen one of my favorites is when ayla is first introduced and just like kicks a bunch of dinosaurs asses and then runs away and chrono's like whoa yeah (laughs) Just like (laughs) left like speechless i will say This
0: this was a little bit of a bummer for me. But in that moment, I was like, oh, that's that's Magus. Like in that, like as soon as I met that kid, I was like, that's obviously where I'm I'm watching a Magus origin story happen in real time right now. And like it's played as a twist later, but in that moment, I immediately clocked it, which was a little bit of a bummer. Um, but, you know, say la vie. I,
1: I think, I think even if you clock it right away, it's still,
0: it still it works. Still I mean, it works. still lands. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting, like in that moment, like contextualizing all of that while playing as like, oh, I understand like why this kid is that way. Um, and then especially with one of the reveals later about Nagus and Lavos and their relationship between one mm-hmm. another. It's an, it's interesting to know that while playing through, I'm sure a, when replaying it's, fascinating i almost feel like i had the experience of replaying the game for the first time strangely yeah in knowing how that was playing out but uh yeah i I do think it's also worth mentioning you were just saying like uh, oh this is like a moment where everybody was just doing their best work ever all simultaneously like now is maybe as good a time as any to mention like Okay, yeah, so the music here is amazing. The writing here is amazing. um The scenario writing is, is obviously great. You know, the holistic view from Yuji hori et cetera, et cetera. But like the specific actual, like moment to moment, beat by beat writing of Masato Kato is fascinating. Like it's all so, so, so good here and it's so confident. And a lot of the production history of this game is like these people were fucking dying working on this game. Like people yeah. had. The worst time Making this game Like they were all Super proud of it And they were all like Really hoping that it Really was their best work And obviously it paid off In the actual final result But so many of these people In interviews since Especially like More recent ones Like recent interviews With the Satokado Are like Man that sucked Working on that game Like we yeah, we were like yeah. Really like Breaking ourselves To do it uh, the, the the obvious big one That everybody always Talks about is um The composer uh, Mitsuda Like he literally Developed stomach ulcers like had to go to the hospital like had to stop working because he was sleeping in the office he was sleeping in his studio so he could immediately wake up and start working on stuff until he passed out and that's like how he did it for months which is obviously not good and that's why nobuo masu eventually stepped in and wrote a bunch of tracks was because Mitsuda was literally hospitalized because of how hard he was working on this game Um, and he saw it as his like first shot and his first big break and even in some YouTube videos and things I've read online about it people like man imagine devoting yourself that hard to a piece of me it's like nope you shouldn't do that you should not do that like I just want to make it very clear I want to say that somewhere in this episode like I don't think it's good that he did that I think he produced some incredible work I would actively discourage people from ever doing that to themselves
1: I think there's, there's devotion and inspiration which obviously paid off but then like it literally didn't because he couldn't finish the score right. like he he worked himself to the point where he couldn't anymore and there's a balance there i think any any creative person has felt like when you get excited by a project it becomes like your life essence and like you will spend a lot more time on that than you normally would anything else yeah but again that's in moderation and we also don't know like what the business demands were and other factors where it's like there there are aspects of our culture that like romanticize that level of devotion. Yes, that's that exactly is, what I'm is, talking about. That yeah. is actually like... It's unhealthy. Yeah, it's unhealthy. That's the best word to use. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: to, me, to me, it's just like, here's a perfect encapsulation of why crunch in the industry is bad. You know, is like, yes. look at this story of this one person who worked on this thing. Everyone agrees that they made a great work and the cost of it is definitely too high. Like it's obviously, obviously too high. And as you said, it caused him to not be able to finish what should have been, you know, his sum total masterwork in a sense. Yes. It's the it's the perfect example of that. It's like anytime anybody talks like there are people still on the Internet who are like, yeah, crunch is good. It's cool if the video game is better because people worked harder on it. then that's great. And that, obviously it's fucked up. If you if you're listening to this show, you know where we stand on this stuff. But yeah, I I was just so shocked to see so many people tell this story as like, man, isn't it cool that he was that devoted to the game? It's like kind of not actually nobody in the process should have let him do that. Also, just to be clear, that's the other side of this is like a lot of other people working with Mitsuda also knew that that's how he was working and let it happen because they thought he was making great work and thought that that was just like, you know, how it had
1: to happen. Yeah. Like maybe
0: like a quirky artist, like working on their music. It's like, no, 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 no. You step in and you
1: stop that person from doing that because that's unhealthy. Yeah. And I think like pointing to the production history of Hades is like the perfect counter argument where it's oh, like yeah. that that is also a work that they obviously were devoted to but like prioritized their own well-being and it paid off because they were able to complete it in totally. a way where they weren't sacrificing themselves for it. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. It was worth addressing in this as we're praising the work, it's worth acknowledging that side of it, yeah. which weirdly is is parallel to Zeal's whole dynamic as well—the <laughs> beauty and the darker side of yes, it. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, uh, Zeal, Zeal's a wild place. I um, I really, I really enjoyed running around Zeal. I, 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 th- I think Zeal is a is a fascinating thing. And and you said it perfectly. You, you spend so much of this thinking that it's gonna like kind of line up with world history until it suddenly doesn't anymore and this is this is also part of the game where i think some people you know who are more critical of i I think most people generally agree that chrono trigger is like really great but even like some of the people who praise it are like yeah this is where it kind of turns into like a more standard like overly complex jrpg fare i personally don't feel that way and maybe that's because i've played enough of these at this point where i'm like this one's actually pretty cut and dry like it's pretty simple how this is Playing out. But I do understand where some people think that narratively it gets a little bit too complex here. It starts to get into some weird territory, specifically with like you have Magus and you have his older sister. His older sister is this like whole deal, the queen specifically in her relationship with Lavos, and like how that works, even is like kind of unexplained and a little bit like open to interpretation and whatever. And like, luckily, I think they do leave a lot of that open to interpretation, where a lot yes. of other games, like uh Kingdom Hearts as an example, like feels the need to explain literally everything. Everything at all times and because of those explanations it starts to turn into like this evil twisted inverse version of lore that's like kind of like so hard to follow that it becomes like a religious text in a in a scary way i i think i think this game strikes a nice balance but i do understand why some people are like right this is the kind of game i'm playing i thought i was escaping it but it turns out it is this
1: yeah i i get it i mean i think what ultimately happens though is like the beat itself is telling you like there is a group of people who are trying to do the exact opposite of what you're doing. Yeah, That's like right. essentially all you really need to know is like yes. the queen of zeal is like all about Lavos. She thinks Lavos is great mm-hmm. and she's trying to achieve immortality through Lavos which like that's a very Final Fantasy villain type thing yeah but it's also not even in the spotlight like she's almost just a victim of Lavos like the rest of the world where where it's implied that she didn't always used to be like that like Shala who is the princess of Zeal and who is uh, Magnus's older sister who's one of the more interesting non-playable characters you meet because she like yeah is definitely like the only one with like reason in in that whole kingdom (laughs) even her little brother even when he's like a kid he's kind of weird and and probably evil yeah (laughs) um but she's like constantly trying to talk her mother out of like this seduction of lavos and there's also the three gurus there's the guru of life the guru of time and the guru i think of wisdom And essentially there's an event like they're, they're like advisors to the queen, but they've all been banished because they all were like, yo, Lavo sucks. What are you doing? (laughs) And she's like, get away from me. So like, unfortunately having a character who is a tyrant that is ignoring like generally good advice is unfortunately like too relatable in any period of history. Mm. And like, as cartoonish as this is, I think it does still carry meaning. It still carries like commentary on things and how like, The voices that get silenced first are these advisors who like are all experts in their fields. Right. (laughs) You know, the the other thing too, that I think prevents this chapter from like busying the narrative is it's very close to the end. Like as soon as you kind of learn about this kingdom, you're in like the final act of the game roughly. And it's essentially the first time in a while where you're, you have to confront Lavos directly yeah the game does a really good job making lavos feel unknowable and like truly alien i think the design of lavos being this like cancerous parasite is very effective like it's not like even by the end it's not clear if lavos like has a direct will or plan it's just like this sort of Threat. It's this, it's this. Yeah, it's a parasite that just feeds off the life of the earth. I,
0: yeah, I've I have a read on lava, so maybe we can get to it later. But I I, I do think sure. it's definitely worth mentioning in in this aspect, um or at least when talking about the kingdom of zeal, the, the specific difference between the people who live in the kingdom and the people who don't is the people yes. who live in the kingdom can use magic, and the people who are on the ground can't use magic. It is implied, but not said directly, that the source of magic is Lavos and that at some point people like dug up and started to like interact with Lavos or like start to hang out near Lavos. And, and that like proximity to an alien being is what kind of allowed people to evolve into a form in which they could use magic, which kind of created this, like almost like um, like X-Men mutants kind of thing. Like some people are mutants and some people aren't. And that's just how things are shaken out. Um, That's kind of how it works here uh, except it's used essentially as a class system. But on top of that, the kingdom of zeal is actively working to like harness more of Lavos's power as an energy source. And that's, that's where all of the power in the kingdom comes from. That's how it's flying. That's how it's doing all this wild shit. That's how they have all this incredible technologies because they're feeding off of Lavos, um, which again, for the climate change allegory is literally just digging up oil and using it to, you know, propel shit, even though it's making the world worse, because the more you do that, the more upset Lavos is going to be. And uh, eventually Lavos is going to bust out of that earth in 1999. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I don't know why I love that it's 1999. Me too. It's my, it's maybe one and of my like, favorite aspects of this game is
1: that Lavos ends the world
0: in nineteen
1: ninety nine. I kind of wish we would get to see more of like what pre lavos ninety nine is like because it seems like Star Trek. Like they all have like futuristic domes and like it seems like a chill place yeah. until suddenly it's fascinating. Uh, it's not. Yeah. This is where I think like uh, the game takes some surprising turns as well because essentially you have to go to the undersea palace my favorite song in the game and stop the queen from harnessing Lavos. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's nearing the end. Yeah. Like it feels like, okay, this is like the final battle. I thought this was the end of the game when I was playing. <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> I, I, th- I think they want you to think that. Yeah. I mean, just everything about it feels like, oh, okay, this is the, the final layer. And then you get to Lavos. Uh, Shala is powerless to stop the queen. Like she tries, but she can't. And I don't remember exactly what happens first but I know that there's an event in front of Lavos where the gurus are trying to stop it as well and they all get sent to different time periods so that's why the old man is at the end of time that was the guru of time Gaspar I believe mm-hmm. um, Melchior who has helped you earlier with the Massimune and other weapon forging the guru of life is sent to the present and then Balthazar gets the shit end of the stick and is sent to the disastrous future mm-hmm. and you largely interact with him after he's gone which is very sad but he like leaves a lot of notes and he invented the the airship you eventually get but i thought that was a cool moment i thought i thought that's also a moment where it could potentially confuse things a bit but overall it worked for me um because i think it it answered some lingering questions when that happened Mm. it's also when young magus or he was janice as a kid i believe yeah he gets sent to the middle ages so that's where he meets ozzy and the team rocket fiends and and pursues that life and essentially you learn that Magus has been living kind of on his own with the single goal of defeating Lavos. So like everything he's done good and bad has been to find his sister and to kill Lavos. Yeah. And he's sort of shut himself off from everyone else otherwise. Like anything else he does is is to get to that goal. Which essentially
0: means that you spent the first two thirds of this game just about stopping the hero from defeating the bad guy. <laughs> now, to be clear, Magus in a lot of instances is like doing bad shit. So like they're not, yeah. he's not really the hero per se, but he is doing, Doing the thing that you're trying to do, and you actually exactly. you actually stopped him at the moment when he was about
1: to do it. Unfortunately, so like the whole game could have been over. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really fun moment because it's it's the two groups that are trying to stop Lavo's and the one group that's trying to you know summon Lavo's and, yeah. and use their power and. It's it's sort of the make or break moment where it's, okay, we got to fight Lavos now that we're here. And it does a great thing that I love when games like this do, where they actually do make you battle him. It's not just a cutscene. Yeah. You have to fight Lavos and you can't do anything. Like Lavos as an entity one shots you. Yeah. And Lavos is first attacking Shala and you actually like have to control kroner to try to save her. Mm-hmm. And then at least in the DS version, it cuts to the cutscene where... Chrono dies. Chrono like jumps in front to save Shala and is killed by Lavos. And in the cutscene, the anime cutscene, it's really haunting because he just looks like shocked. Like it isn't like a, it's a heroic sacrifice, but yeah. he's not expecting to die when he when he like goes to help Shala. Right and in, even without the cutscene like in like you still get that scene in the game and seeing chrono just like disintegrate is like it's shocking yeah it's still even when you know it's gonna happen it's always surprising it was it was wild it
0: was an extremely bold move extremely yeah. bold move to get uh i don't i don't even know how far into this game 15 16 hours into this game and just have the protagonist fucking die <laughs> was uh yeah was wild what immediately brought me comfort in a sense was knowing that the rest of the party was still around like if the game was going to keep going i i I was really interested in like okay so the silent protagonist is gone and all the people who actually do talk will have things to say about this and i get to hang out with them for the remainder of the game i thought was actually pretty compelling you know in that moment but still um it's shocking
1: but yeah i mean i think i think it's a really successful moment now i will say like pretty soon after there is a a side quest to bring him back which we'll get to, I think, in a moment. I know that the original plan was just to leave. Like, that would be it. Which I think would have been bolder, but I do think it works the way they have you bring him back. And I think that it ultimately makes sense because you have a time machine. Like, it would be (laughs) kind of silly if, like, they've done all of this altering history and they're like, we could save our friend. Nah, nah. (laughs) we'll just move on. Yeah. One of the
0: things about this game, following Back to the Future rules, that it doesn't really uh, go all the way on, which, like, understandable, again, because of the technology and the time, is, like, going back and interacting with yourself. And I mm. I was curious if there was ever going to be a point where, like, you literally went back and, like, talked to Chrono, who was, like, hanging out doing something else uh and and convinced him to you know not make that sacrifice or something because it's it seems to be implied at least that like bringing somebody back from the dead is not as easy as just going and picking them out of the time stream and like bringing them forward you know for obvious reasons because that would like erase them from future things that they did it's uh it's a little more complex than that so i don't know you you end up going on this whole side quest which i was like honestly really back and forth on doing
1: well yeah so if you don't mind I, i'd like to kind of frame it cause i think I think it's actually important the way they sort of set up sure. the option of doing it after after chrono dies it's like the lowest the heroes are but after a beat where like you 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 know fight the remaining villains and you get your airship back and it's very triumphant you go back to the end of time and also while you're getting your airship back and while there's like a kind of fresh wave of hope hitting the party which I, i really love that mission of sneaking around the ship and like getting all your equipment back and getting the ship back yeah that was really fun it's a weirdly funny mission as well where i feel like it adds a lot of levity to what was before a very harrowing moment. When you get the epic back, which is this airship that can also travel through time, so you no longer are bound by the gates. Yeah. You can just, like, fly to any point and say, I want to go here, but in the Stone Age or in the future. It's really cool. It's so exciting to get it. I did name that ship Aether just for fun. And it did that's nice resonate with me emotionally. Yeah. But seeing Frog say like, is the Aether bound for us or whatever? (laughs) I was like, yes. But essentially like the final big bad Dragon Quest, you know, monster layer appears in the sky. And it's it's present for almost all the timelines, which is very eerie. That it's like this like clearly final point to fight is always there. Mm. But the game is kind of like, okay, here's like where you have to go, but you go back to the end of time and uh, the guru of time, Gaspar, like asks where Chrono is and. And everyone kind of like mourns for him. And eventually, like when you leave, he's like, I think they ask because Magus, if he does, we didn't even talk about this, but there's a whole point right after uh the zeal part where right after Chrono dies, I had Frog in my party because it felt like important to have him. And the party confronts Magus and you can either oh, right, yeah. fight him or spare him and he ends up joining the party. And what I love about him joining is that he doesn't really like become a good guy. He's just like with you now like they they (laughs) they redeem him like just enough but not in a way that like undoes the actual evil things he's done right you know yeah but anyway if you spare magus or actually even if you kill him he gives you a hint of like you know your friend chrono like could be brought back potentially Mm. because magus has also been sort of traveling through time here and there right because he came from the middle ages back to antiquity to like pose as a prophet and because he knew of the future, he could like gain the queen's trust. And he was doing that so he could kill Lavos back then. Yeah. But essentially you go and and Gaspar, the guru time is like, I have this egg that's called the Chrono Trigger. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it made me laugh uh, and he's like, it's not a sure fire thing. Or it's not it's not a 100 percent success that you can bring him back but like if you do x y and z you can potentially bring him back from the dead but it's kind of set up as like a like full metal alchemist warning like this is probably something you shouldn't mess with but i like you enough to let you try yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i think that like i think that there are a lot of people who play this game that probably just went right it's not completely obvious that like that's something you should do or that'll even work so i think that there were a lot of people that probably just went and beat the game without bringing chrono back and that was their first ending like it feels like that's what the game is kind of almost assuming you'll do
0: yeah because you have to jump through a lot of hoops it's not like that the the quest to bring chrono back is not i would say an, an easy one compared to all the other stuff that you've had to do at this point in the game no and it wasn't really because of that. Like I was, I was fine doing it for the difficulty reasons. I mean, I ended up doing like way more of this game than I thought I was going to. Honestly, um, especially <laughs> yeah. given the time constraint, I finished the game today. I didn't, even, I haven't even mentioned that, but I finished the game like a couple hours before we started recording. Yeah. But anyway, it was more just like the the narrative weight of having the gumption to kill off Chrono in a game called Chrono Trigger was like maybe I should keep him dead because that's like that's like that's an interesting enough twist to me that I I almost want to commit to it narratively in a sense. Um and having the option to bring him back was like, oh I don't I don't want you to go back on this like really cool choice you've made. I appreciate that it's there, obviously, and I ended up doing it. Um because at the end of the day, again, going back to like, you know, the dream team that made this game, it feels very Yuji Horii to have a moment where like, oh yeah, you can have the happiest ending possible if you want. You and I talked a lot about Dragon Quest 11. There's technically a way in Dragon Quest XI to like have the happiest ending possible that involves an entire, uh, like post game that, uh, is fascinating i mean it's like a fascinating narrative decision that they make in that game but having now played that and it's one of the reasons i'm glad i've played a bunch of other rpgs before coming to play chrono trigger like this felt like a yuji hori moment was like i'll give you the option to bring it back or you can live with this decision that we've decided to make as the writers of this game it's fun it's cool it's it's a it's a it's a good idea and honestly i just like kind of glimpsed at the guide for the the um the process of bringing Chrono back, I was like, "That seems interesting. I'll give that a shot." And then I went and did it, just like
1: purely for that reason. Also, Chrono is really fucking strong. It's good to have him in your He's party. He's really good. yeah <laughs> I mean, so I'll say that at this point in the game, this is where, like, in addition to being given the Chrono trigger, Gaspar is also like, you can head to Lavos whenever you want. You can. Take the epic to the lair in the sky, or you can just look into this weird bucket and go right to 1999. I don't recommend that, but you can do it if you want. (laughs) He also hints at, like, what are the other, like, every character kind of has their own side quests. And this is where I think the game becomes the most esoteric there are a lot of really good side quests but this is where it feels like you're gonna need a guide but i also think this is where like the designers are like we want there to still be mystery after you've beaten it like we want to reward people who are curious enough to try these things but there there are a couple side quests where it's like how how would i have known that yeah yeah there, yeah there's a whole it's p- the only time the game really gets that way because before that it's like very obvious where to go for other than that one part in the future we mentioned but here is where it gets more 1995
0: i think yeah i agree there's there is a part of me though that kind of wishes i had that like totally unhooked from the internet experience for this game like there there's there's a version of myself that i i i I kind of wish that i could have that like oh my god i can't believe i like actually went through and Figured out by myself how to do all of this stuff and ended up there. There, There is a
1: little bit of like the edges taken off when you're just like following a guide to do some of this. I think so a little bit. I, I, it reminds me a lot of like I remember playing Super Nintendo with my sister when I was really young. And like there was as a kid, especially there was always magic in like finding out a game's secret. Like yeah. in Super Mario World, there's that whole secret world. I was I was
0: literally just about to bring that up because that that's the version of this that I always hold near and dear to me because that was also my experience. Like I went to somebody's house to play Super Mario World at some point and found that by myself the the, the Star World, the special world, um, yeah, and like found it by myself and like that moment of like I really did try to like poke at the edges of this fucking ghost house and on the other side of it what i found was an entire world in space that like my friend whose super nintendo this was had never seen before was like one of the coolest video game experience i've ever had and that's just like the kind of thing that happened all the time at this time period in video games
1: yeah and and to the game's credit they do like specifically say like here are all the places you can go like they make it pretty direct like yeah here are the list of side quests
0: yeah when, when he talks to uh, the man at the end of time he just kind of like lists them off for you which is great
1: yeah so that is like shockingly convenient for a game from 95 but like a few of them would require you really explore every corner to to figure it out but like at least like there is text there that would tell you they're not just like oh it was that guy at the bar but you blew it you missed that (laughs) chance yeah so i really like this part of the game i think that um there are some side quests that i'm like if you want to play this game and get the full experience like you should definitely do at least three of them I honestly do really like bringing Chrono back. I wouldn't think I would on paper, but the way it's done, like the place you have to go to do it is this like heavily cursed, like always lightning mountain in the future. Yeah, Death Peak, it's called. Yeah. And the scene, like when you bring him back and the scene that plays out between like his friends and him coming back like it's not immediately victorious it's it's very sad even still like it's it's bittersweet because they're like in my experience i had luca and frog with me and when chrono reappears by the tree and is like kind of fading back into consciousness luca just like hugs him and can't even really like say what's on her mind she just like is trying to explain what it was like to live without him yeah And she's like, you know, Marley and I, and we couldn't, and I'm like, I was very struck by that moment, not being like corny or over the top, It just like, that would be how it would play out. Like, just you wouldn't be able to know what to say. You would just be able to show affection. And the way like she hugs him is just like, don't ever leave me again. You know, like, yeah. And I think this is actually where he does benefit from being a silent protagonist is that in this moment, he represents just the idea of loss. Like before, Chrono dies. They're trying to prevent a world-ending crisis. It's such a big thing that almost like they're almost like kind of laissez-faire about it. Like, okay, that will happen one day, but it's the whole world, and we can stop it. Mm -hmm. And and this one, with they're powerless to to stop. Losing a friend of theirs like it's a very personal yeah. loss that like they also like and it's up to you to choose if that's something you're going to prioritize it almost feels more for those characters than it is for the player like it's like I want to be able to like bring Give this, this person them. back yeah. for them mm. So I, I it worked for me, um, but I do get why it could like kind of defang the game a little bit. But I also think like the, the happiest of happy endings is so good that like I don't want a world in which that doesn't exist. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just to be clear. I mean, that's how I feel about it, too. I yeah. in, the, in the moment when presented with the option, my thought was like, I don't know if I want to do this, but I'm glad I did it. I mean, I think it's worth doing. And I think if you're playing the game for the first time, you probably should because you'll be happy with how it turns out but there there was that version of me that was like i am very curious to see how this game turns out which again i mean the the game is meant to be played multiple times one of the reasons they kept it short the reason they put new game plus in there is the reason there's 12 fucking endings now 13 if you play on the ds you know they they built it into the game to to have a playthrough where you don't bring chrono back because there's an ending associated with it that you get to experience so like there's a bunch of stuff going on there but yeah that that scene is really powerful when you bring him back i i really really loved it um the the thing that hit me the hardest, I think maybe in the whole game, outside of the ending, was going to Chrono's house at one point. I don't know if you did this. I don't know if you've done this, but like, so obviously you go get the doll and then you have to like get the doll from Chrono's house. You can go visit Chrono's house before that and like talk to his mom beforehand. And it is crushing. It is like a crushing conversation. Uh, where she's like, "Oh, it's weird. The Chrono's not with you. You know, like, is he doing all right?" And like nobody responds or says anything. But like just that one line of dialogue was like really fucking brutal for me. I yeah. th- that was the moment where I recognized how hard this moment was hitting for me. That Chrono had died because like I felt the same way the characters felt. But having said that, I think my other thing and and this is purely because I played with a guide, just to be clear. It's not meant to be played this way, but it's the way that I had to play it just so I could get the game done. For me, having played with a guide and knowing step by step what I need to do meant that the time in between Chrono dying and me bringing him back was very short. And I yeah. think allowing that time to breathe more would have been better and that's not the fault of the game that's the fault of the way (laughs) i played the game specifically just to be clear but that was my experience i just wanted to highlight that like if you're playing a game and you're following a guide you're gonna have that experience too because first of all you should probably have a guide to do the chrono resurrection side quest in the first place but also you will probably have an experience where it's gonna feel so short that it'll be like oh he's only been dead for like maybe 30 to 45 minutes
1: yeah i i think Doing some of the the personal side quests first would probably really help that pacing because i feel like if it was a show that would be like because it it reminds me too a lot not just spoiler dragon quest 11 but there's a point in that game after what is considered the first act where there are vignettes about each character yeah before the party comes back together and it kind of feels like there's a way to play this more open part of it where you get that experience where it's like a little bit of frog a little bit of robo a little bit of luca chrono's back yes a little bit of Ayla that's probably what i should (laughs) have done yeah yeah. So is there any psychos you wanted to bring up in particular? Like any one that stood out to you before we wrap up the uh the story here?
0: Oh, I, I would say of the of the ones I did, which um ended up being uh Isla, Luca, Frog, Fiona, and Marl. So I didn't do robos, I didn't do maguses. Um actually those are the only two I didn't do, which is kind of wild now I'm thinking about it. I would say the only two that like really actually like hit honestly like from the main party was probably frogs and marls like they they yeah. felt like like frogs is very 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 short but really 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 emotionally resonant like it does a really yes. great job of packing a lot of strong emotion uh into a very small period and then marl's a lot of it is about her relationship with her dad the way it ends gets you chrono's best sword which is great uh so it's like obviously worth doing just from like a mechanical and like gameplay and rpg perspective but also just like watching that play out was really good yeah but the best one at least of the ones i played was was the fiona one was the one where you essentially like bring a forest back from I don't know, it, it was a desert and and nothing can grow there. And you event, you go back in time and essentially like convince somebody to plant a tree that grows up into a whole forest and uh, has some of the best character moments like across the oh, board. Yeah. Like it's kind of just like a highlight for every character this bit, which I, I think is really powerful. So you're jumping back and forth between time. There's a whole bit where like... You end up, and I think, in the year 600, and you talk to this NPC, Fiona, and she's like, you know, you have to, like, fight a boss to, like, clear out the desert with monsters so she feels comfortable going and planting trees. And she's like, man, I really wish that, like, I could tend to these trees, but I'm only one person. Like, it'd be really nice if I could, like, work around the clock or something. And Robo, wildly enough, just, like, offers himself up to just, like, stay behind. He's like, let me leave the party. I will stay here for literally 400 400 years. Yeah. And I will plant these trees and I will cultivate this forest and I'll bring this place back. And if you let him do it, it's fucking great. I mean, it's just like an unbelievable sequence because like you zip to the future immediately. So for you, it's immediate. For him, it's been 400 years. It's a huge sacrifice for him in a sense. And they've like built a shrine to Robo. Essentially, he is like broken down over these 400 years. He's succeeded in bringing the forest back, but he's like broken down and Luca rebuilds him and you end up in the forest and there's this campfire sequence, which I think is like the highlight of the whole game for me probably is yeah
1: because there aren't as much as it's an ensemble story there aren't a lot of scripted scenes that have everyone because it's usually whoever's in your party so like getting a moment where like literally everyone even fucking magus is around the campfire and they're all talking and they're all dwelling about like (laughs) the game breezes past it but it's like robo was here for 400 years and like has become like a religious icon, basically. Like yeah. He's in a church. Yeah. And not by coincidence, the conversation around the campfire kind of leans towards religious and philosophical, where Robo essentially brings up the idea. He's like, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this over the past 400 years. <laughs> um, but he was like, I don't. We used to think that Lavos was the reason that these portals and time opened up. But the more I thought about it, the more I think that there might be some type of higher power or entity that like actually wants us to help, like that they're there for a reason. Yeah, And I don't know if it's because of like a higher power or if it's they bring up the idea of like when you are about to die, your life flashes before your eyes and there are moments you want to recall. So they're debating if it's like, is there... Is there a God essentially that like wants us to help or at least like entity that is on the same level of power as Lavos that is like trying to keep Lavos at bay and helping us? Or is this like someone's consciousness that we're just sort of like reliving or that these are moments in history that they wanted to experience it is such a good scene yeah. that like I'm kind of pissed isn't a side quest because I feel like this to me is is essential to, to like I agree like this this is really where the game I think starts to peek at higher ideas and brilliantly doesn't answer them how could it how could it answer that type of question yeah you know and and do I you think have a that- read
0: do you have do you have a thought this this was kind of my big my my big uh swing here do you have do you, yeah. have, a, do you have a thought about the entity?
1: So my original thought was that it was connected to the fascination of dreams with zeal, because there's this idea they're exploring that like perception and thought is tied to reality inherently. Mm. And it's worth noting, too, that immediately after that conversation... Luca like Lucas asks like if you could go back anywhere where would you go and she doesn't answer but then when everyone goes to sleep she wakes up and goes to a nearby portal and is teleported back to when she was a kid and her mom gone to an accident that she was powerless to stop yeah and like you can actually fuck up that moment like you can I did fuck up that moment oh my god I'm so sorry I reloaded it's... my save because I was so upset yeah, essentially, like, Luca's mother's, like, dress is caught in this, like... Like, conveyor belt, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and child Luca, like, can't reach it and doesn't know the password to stop this machine, but you do, uh, or at least it's cryptically told to you in journals lying around, and you can, like, try to run and do it. And if you, if you fail, the, the present is unchanged, but if you do it, you can prevent this accident from happening to your mother. Either way, you have this moment, and then Luca exits the portal, and Robo is, like... Robo is like, kind of waiting for you on the other side. And he's like, so that's the moment that you are kind of dwelling on. And then he's like, I, may, I, ca- I have a gift for you. I have some amber inside me that I've been yeah. keeping for 400 years. And she's like, oh, you're so sweet. But like that moment between them is like really precious and very understated. And to me implies the idea that like if the will of an individual or the will of like people or even the planet is strong enough that like it can create these rifts where we can relive a moment. You know, and again, I think I think it goes back to that line that I singled out of like perception and and the connection to thought and reality. So my read is I think it's something that like people can summon. I think that um I, I think that if I had to tie it to a certain thing, I think it feels like kind of the planet itself or at least the the like life on the planet um mm. that creates them. I've done a bit of reading of like what other people think and it seems like there are like three or four like theories online but i want to hear what you thought first. interesting yeah, yeah i my
0: first thought initially was that the planet was a living thing and that that was yeah. the entity that they kept referring to. Because even when he beat the game, they're like, "The entity is finally at rest." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess like the earth is saved. I guess that's probably it." Yeah,
1: they think it's at rest. They don't know definitively, but they're like, "I have a feeling that it's at rest." Kind
0: ah, of Chrono Cross. I don't know. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Chr- Chrono Cross doesn't answer it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, my um, my second thought, I, I guess, like kind of kind of bigger thought is that the entity that they're referring to is is us, like the player who is playing the game watching the game happen because because the way that the entity is initially referred to is essentially this concept that like there's something that's like that's very interested in these particular moments in history there's like a there's there's something watching us that maybe has a connection to a lot of us maybe it doesn't like maybe has these connect whatever like we don't really know what it is but it feels like there's some presence guiding us through all of this, which, like, is so to me very cut and dry. Like, yes, it's me, it's the player. Uh, hi, I'm Brendan, I'm the entity. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm at rest, maybe I'm not. Am I gonna do new game plus or am I good, you know? Um, which, you know, uh, goes back to Undertale, Toby Fox, multiple endings, near automata, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. all these games that are curious about the role the player has in observing and having agency in a story that was my thought i, th- I think that i think that i brendan bigley am the entity
1: that's a very cool read and that that is that is one of the big ones that the player that's, is the entity what are the other ones that people the other ones think? so we we kind of latched on to two of the big ones one is the planet which i think i that was my initial read and then one is the player the other one is that it's Shala, uh the princess of zeal who is like oh, okay <laughs> wishing for that that seems a little bit too concrete but that is a fun read i mean her involvement in the story is mysterious she kind of goes missing mm-hmm. after that initial event with lavos so there's definitely like mystery there and i i think what's great is that there's no direct confirmation on any of this and i think honestly the read of it being the world and the player i think both of those could exist i think that that's like like we are part of the world mm. too like we are part of this environment this you know i think a lot of a lot of the game also like gives a lot of, like, positive characterization to, like, most people you meet. Like, most yeah. people kind of have goodness within them and, like, can bring that out. I mean, I think after Zeal comes crashing down, when you talk to the inhabitants of the of the Ice Age, they're all, like, there's no class anymore. Like, we're all just living together. And when you take on a fucking... Talon, i think his name is dalton fuck dalton dalton uh, yeah he's like this kind of opportunist from the ashes of zeal who's like now i'm the king and he just sort of sucks uh, <laughs> the minute you kick his ass everyone's like you know chanting and you know cheering justice from the from the surface it's really yeah. i love that the fights with him are very easy also yeah he sucks <laughs> it's great and I, I i it's a common thing too in a lot of rpgs where like there's a villain who his usual tactic is like summoning someone else and then running away and at that point he has no one left to summon like there's no one who will fight for him but i i think that reading the entity as the player i think that that brought like i don't want to say that that's like the right way but i think that carries the most weight i think um and yeah. i think that you know the the game like the game's intention of like wanting to be replayed and wanting to be recalled as a moment of history itself like again i don't think it should be that concrete but i think that even just like what is what is the involvement of someone who is reading history? You know, it's like yeah, just giving that merit is is very interesting. I
0: think it goes back to the thing, I'm glad you actually brought it up and screenshotted it, but it goes back to and this was kind of the, the first inkling I had about this uh thought was when you talk to Doreen in uh in Zeal for the first time, and 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 the first thing they say is something along the lines of you again, you already brought it up, but something along the lines of like there are as many worlds as there are observers. Essentially, this philosophical idea that a lot of people have talked about and, and have explored in a lot of different directions which is like every person perceives the world in a different way and therefore there is a different world for every person the the easiest example that I cite or think about a lot is like two people go into a town one of them is hungry and the other person needs gas for their car they're both going to see two different versions of that town you know because they're looking for different things and they're perceiving it in different ways um, so the town will either be good or bad based on their own perceptions etc cetera, etc cetera. I feel the same is true of Chrono Trigger and I think that's what Doreen is trying to say in that sense and that's kind of what To me, the entity, quote unquote, is supposed to represent is this idea that every person who plays the game, especially given how many permutations there are, how many different choices there are to make, every person can perceive this game in a completely different way. And every playthrough that you have is going to be wholly your own. And the world of Chrono Trigger is your version of it. You are this entity for this specific iteration of Chrono Trigger. And I think that's powerful. I think that's interesting. And uh, I really love Mass Effect is what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) I was was thinking Mass Effect the whole time. I... (laughs) I think that's also, I think it's not a coincidence (laughs) why, like, not only just in terms of, like, the level of quality of this game, but I think that the reason why any game that has, like, tried to directly emulate Chrono Trigger or, or... is a sequel to Chrono Trigger is met with such a mixed reception or at least like a hesitant reception is like, while this game was a big success and a big event and like a lot of people played it, it does feel like everyone it's so personal, you know, it's such a person, like there, there are some pieces of media that reach this status. that are like, Oh, you have to watch this. You have to read this. You have to see this. And like, you'll watch it or read it or play it or whatever. And you'll be like, that was really good. I'm glad I experienced that. I can now say that I've done that, but it doesn't feel like it was like, for me you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. like not that i had to own it but it's like i I didn't feel like it clicked with me as a person and chrono trigger like will it will get its claws into your heart and it will feel like only you experience this and that's probably true because you're gonna have enough nuances to who who did you choose to invest in who did you have in your party like it's the same story but there's a just enough creativity on the player's end on the entity's end that it's gonna feel like your world. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that really just comes
0: down to a a really wonderful marriage of both the story, which we've now talked about for, I don't know, I think we're like an hour and a half into this segment specifically. (laughs) Whoops. But like the story and also the mechanics, which we spent the first bit talking about both of those things combined, I I think like really, really, really do marry together to make a game that almost and, and this is a thing that I was trying to allude to earlier, but like never quite figured out the words to say but I think I got it now like the game kind of just melts in a sense like whenever you're playing a game it just kind of melts you don't really feel like you're playing a game you're just experiencing a story which is like the best thing you can say about any piece of media any storytelling in general um, and I think that's harder to accomplish in some games specifically because of the mechanic weight that uh, that that some games give to that end of things over something like narrative some games want you to focus so much on mechanics a game like Pokemon for example is so much about battling and capturing and like making sure that you have certain Pokemon out at certain times that like the story doesn't feel as compelling because you're constantly ripped from it yeah so you can focus more on stats and and capturing things and and grinding and etc etc the beauty of chrono trigger having these battles that happen seamlessly uh having the active time battle system like actually work having like (laughs) the placement of creatures and your party throughout this space actually matter in terms of like where your attacks will hit how many enemies it'll hit having that like real sense of space really just allows you to like fall forward into the ds and just kind of like forget you're playing a game for the most part because you're making decisions that are instinctual they're not
1: strategic in a sense. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All of that, along with a story that is like hitting these narrative highs and these characters that are so good, just kind of blends into this fucking is a masterpiece, you know, uh, it, it, <sighs> it really works. Um, and that's, I think the like big hit of this game. And, and, and it goes back to this idea of us as the entity, as you just said, um, that's, that's why it works so well is because every person will have that, you know, kind of like magic trick pulled on them every person will just like fall forward into their phone or their playstation one or whatever they're playing and have their own experience with it and that's powerful that's really cool so yeah. few games do that
1: right and i i think oh man i almost kind of want to leave this section there as much as like we haven't gotten to the concrete ending and the possible endings guess what you kill lavos <laughs> <laughs> you do it oh you know what I do before we before we move on to the last section with questions I do kind of want to talk about the lavos fight a little bit If you don't mind. It's cool. It was a cool fight. That whole last bit, honestly, Black, what is it called? Black Omen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, I mean, yeah, you're fighting like all these different, it's like a gauntlet of boss fights that like should be exhausting, but isn't because again, the pace is still fast. And like this game also doesn't really require you grind like at all, which is another thing that really helps. Like even if you do every side quest and you get the best of the best stuff, that'll just make it really easy. It's not going to like, it's not required of you. Yeah. But uh, essentially, like, you go through this palace, you fight the queen, and the queen's last resort is like, I'm just going to send you directly to where Lavos is, because I know that worked so well last time. (laughs) I'm going to do that again. Yeah. Uh, But this time you're prepared. And the first phase of Lavos' fight, they're mirroring every boss you've encountered. But what's really fascinating is that they're not only just mirroring the boss, they are the strength of that boss when you fought them. So it's almost like Lavos has... Like inherited the history of the game, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like it's being like, how should I fight you here? Like, what have you fought before? Let me give you every version of that. Let me give you every boss you've encountered. That doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Fine. Let me do what I've done before in 1999. We're gonna shoot spikes out of my ass and try to blow you up. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> it has like it's like a spiked shell and a little weird like beak at the at the middle and when you destroy the beak you realize that you can actually go inside so whatever like lavos truly is it's inside the shell you go inside the shell oh hell yeah there's a save point and a time portal if i want to buy items thank you anyway you go further into the shell and then there's the core which like looks weird and looks like a you know dragon ball villain in a way it's like very like toriyama classic but what i love is when you kill that you then fight the final final form of lavos which feels very mother to me it feels very earthbound Mm -hmm. where it's like yeah very strange the first thing you see is like this kind of like dorky looking alien cyclops like humanoid thing i had marley and frog with me yeah me too And marley was like what it's humanoid and frog is like they basically like you murderer you monster like you can't just show up on this planet And destroy it. Like, we're not going to let you do that. But it doesn't, it doesn't really seem to even acknowledge what's happening. It's not like you fools. Like the queen is like, I am, you know, I am so powerful. You'll never destroy me. But Lavos itself is just this like unknowable blob. Like it doesn't even seem to have any malice. It's just like there. And then you go into this fight that has this very this is where it reminds me of Mother, because the background is very trippy and it's like colors and moments of history behind it. And it's this weird humanoid alien and two little like orbs and what i love what's so brilliant that seems like an annoying 1995 trick but in in a lot of the boss fights there'll be multiple pieces or parts of an enemy but there's like one you have to kill and it will destroy the whole thing right and if you destroy the other ones they'll regenerate so you're kind of set up to think that this humanoid is the main lavas but it's not it's just the weird little blob on the right it's one of the pods yeah yeah and that took me forever. I, and I've read some reads on this. I, 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 cause I was like, I was curious what people thought of like, cause part of me was like, I don't know if I like this cause I loved the exterior design. I don't know if I like really want to know what inside is like, Yeah, but having the real, real lavos just be this tiny little like cell. And I, I was doing some reading online and I, I read some, I, I forgot who said this, but essentially it was like, if phase one is mirroring all the bosses, that phase is very clearly trying to mirror the party. There are three members, they each have a role, Mm. and they're trying to combat you with like the last thing that they have left, which is like, what if we try to fight you on your own terms kind of thing? Wow, that's interesting. Which I think is really brilliant. Yeah, I mean, credit to whoever said that. I'm sorry, I was browsing Reddit from eight years ago. But... (laughs) uh i i didn't initially have that reading but i think what i focused more on was like the fact that the final final form is this blob that is just trying to figure out what shape works and i read it too as like the humanoid is like as it continues to drain the power it's just sort of draining like what life is like and trying to emulate that in some way yeah but i I thought that was really cool and i thought that the fight is like tense but fair it's not like super difficult which is also nice
0: yeah, yeah, I yeah. It, it definitely took me a while to clock the mechanics there, and I, I do think there are a couple bosses throughout the game that definitely feel like man how did anyone figure this out like that, how did,
1: that one you streamed the roulette boss is like easily the worst in the entire game that was like, unbelievable and, that's an unbelievably
0: yeah, yeah there is uh, <laughs> in in lucas side quest there's a boss that is like just not fun in any capacity um yeah. and uh, there's not even a way to like cheese like say you're playing on an emulator like a super nintendo emulator or something like i don't even know how you would be able to like use a cheat code to make that easier it just like sucks in any capacity anyway some of the bosses here and there feel that way some of the bosses are like what do you mean you absorb lightning like why would you absorb lightning <laughs> it doesn't make any sense <laughs> or like oh i absorb all magic except lightning or something or um you know i only when a text box shows up in my damageable things like that that stuff you know give or take i f- i found that it worked specifically because it was breaking up all the other kinds of combat that i was fighting, yeah. with, that i was dealing with you know needing to actually put my like strategy hat on and like try and survive while figuring out this like essentially a puzzle um Yes, I found I found more rewarding than not usually, Um, which all leads up to the Lavos thing, which like is so funny to me that it was just a little floating pod at the end. Once I figured that out, I was like, oh, my God, I can't I can't believe I've been fighting this humanoid thing the whole time, which like it is good to take out the humanoid thing because that thing hits like a fucking train. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Anyway, that having been said, I do really appreciate that Lavos from like a design and narrative perspective doesn't seem to actually be malicious. Like it just I think it's just like an alien creature like trying to do its thing. Yeah.
1: It's it's just a force. It's a it's a force. And I think it's purposeful that before you fight Lavos directly, like you're seeing the influence it has on characters. Yeah. You're seeing like and again, I think the Queen is the clear example of like here is someone who has been corrupted by Lavos and is becoming a villain. And even Magus, as much as he tries to pretend that he is like doing this for the greater good, he's become a bad guy in yeah. his quest to defeat it. And the more he becomes obsessed with destroying it, he's like, it almost sort of, again, Mass Effect, but it's like an elusive man type thing where it's mm-hmm. like, and it's justified the means type character. But what ending did you get just to wrap up here?
0: I think the same one you did, Beyond Time?
1: Beyond or? Time, yeah, that's that's the big happy one. That's where, Yeah,
0: it was Beyond Time where like, chrono was back
1: just to kind of like go through a little bit of it it opens with like you chrono being called back to the castle and it's set up where like it feels like you still might be in trouble from the earlier court cases with chrono uh but then like the king reveals that like he found out from marley that like you all saved the worlds and what i love is that then suddenly like everyone from marley and the king's lineage shows up so like various leaders and points in history were secretly like part of that bloodline. <laughs> like uh very funny. Kino and Isla. Yeah, and exactly. So like all of a sudden everyone's there. And then you kind of like just get this very celebratory festival and eventually like everyone has to go back to their timeline because since you killed Lavos, the uh gates are going away. It was just a really it was a really like Bittersweet but cathartic farewell. And oh so everything's like about to actually end and they're about to go like live a normal life in their respective timelines. And then Chrono's mom is like, Where's that cat going? It just like falls into it's so the good, yeah So they're like, I guess we gotta go save Chrono's mom. And then the ending is your friends in the epic or the aether, in my case, flying around. It's still really impressive visually. Like it's beautiful, and the credits are rolling. And if you have the ship. <laughs> uh, it is flying through various periods of time and you see like in the skyline, like, you know, all the other characters like in their respective moments. It's really beautiful. Yeah. What I love, though, and we'll probably get more into this in questions, because some questions are about the other endings. But if you crash the airship into um, the palace or lose it, it's Marley and Chrono like getting uh, caught up in a bunch of balloons.
0: And like, yeah, flying and, around. And they're just
1: flying around. It's really like... I'm like very torn which one I like better because I really like just how I like the ability to see all the other characters in the epic, like from afar. But I also really think it's beautiful that like the two kind of leading characters in a way get to just enjoy the present from Mm. a bird's eye view. Like they they don't have to go anywhere. They just have to kind of get caught up in the in the wind of this moment. But it's it's really good. I I, uh, I cried during it and I've seen it before, but I cried again.
0: Yeah. I was getting there. I didn't cry, but I almost did. It, re- it was it was very moving. It's really good. I loved I loved the ending so much. I'm so um, glad. Yeah. What a great fucking game.
1: It's really good. It's it's really. And I think um in terms of the other endings, it seems like kind of similar to Nier Automata, where it's like there are like a handful of endings that I think you'll realistically get without looking up. And then the other ones are sort of like either Easter eggs or like. Jokes like or joke endings, yeah, yeah, or they're like, oh, maybe next time, keep an eye out for this. But, um, realistically, yeah. like most of them, you're gonna get a new game plus because essentially what determines what ending you get is like a few factors and then also like when you fight Lavos. Because even in a first playthrough, you can fight Lavos at any time, yeah. So, all I'll say about the the ending on the DS is the the DS unique ending, I'll maybe avoid looking at because it's the one ending that tries to connect cross and trigger more meaningfully yeah
0: i actually um, yeah i i watched a youtube video that was like all the endings um and then specifically at least the youtube video i watched like mentioned like oh this one connects to chrono cross i was like nope and then i didn't not watch yet it. i gotta yeah. play it first yeah so <sighs> yeah on like uh, I don't know. Maybe it's one of the questions, but I, I wasn't a huge fan of like almost every other ending <laughs> except for the main one. Yeah, but pretty much. None of them really. None of them really worked for me except for the one where Chrono speaks, which was great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're mostly they're mostly just like silly jokes. um yeah. There is one where it's just like you can talk to the team who made the game, like they're all like. Yeah. different characters at the end of time, which is fun. That's very silly. But yeah. I would say like, I would say that's probably the one. And I actually kind of forgot this. Cause I, I'd only like be in a few times and I, for a while would purposely not look at guys just to see like, which I got, but like, I think that the multiple endings part of it was like a little bit cooler on paper than it is in execution. I agree. Yeah. Um, but like, it's still really cool. They went for that. And it's like, you know, I think that it's the kind of thing where a lot of those endings exist for for those who are like especially curious or like, right. wouldn't it be funny if we ended it here and you see what happens? Yeah. Like one of them is like everyone's a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, there's one uh, of them where uh, like
0: frog and queen lean get together and then the lineage is like half frog, half. Yeah, people,
1: stuff like um, that. It's like very, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all bits for the most part. Yeah, where's the drama?
0: Where's the weight? I want weight. I want drama.
1: Well, anyway, <laughs> what's what's very telling about the success of this game's story is that Brendan and I both said like. We won't have to go through the whole thing. We can just, like, highlight stuff we liked about it. And then we went through the whole thing. We sure And then we went through, through the whole thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, so, what else is there to say? It's just, it's a fantastic game. It's a masterpiece. Truly. It's sometimes difficult to, like, when a game is hyped up this much to, like, really mean it when you say it's a masterpiece. This is one of the games that, like, really does live up to that reputation. Yeah.
0: I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Just i guess like to wrap it all up like i expected to play it be like wow yeah for for 1995 that's a really fucking good jrpg it was like maybe the the hottest i thought i was going to be about it i didn't think i was going to finish it and be like
1: no that's- now you're like i am the
0: entity yeah <laughs> i'm like i am <laughs> i am the entity and now i have to compare every game to this forever <laughs> almost a curse Chrono Trigger is kind of a curse in a sense
1: that's a review 10 out of 10 is a curse don't touch <laughs> don't um, don't touch if you want to enjoy other video games on that note do you want to take a quick break we've been going for a while Do I oh, it's been two hours it's been two so hours in this segment yes I also speaking of curse whenever I tell you I don't think it will be a long one it's it's this yeah it, it becomes this
0: my plan was to go to sleep playing Radiant Historia and uh, now I think my plan is to pass the fuck out when we're done <laughs>
1: uh let's take a quick break we're gonna do our questions and then wrap up after that sounds good sounds good man i'll talk to you soon goodbye bye thank you the entity you're welcome (laughs) all right
0: Hello, dear entities. We are back <laughs> with questions from you, the entities. Don't trust reality.
1: It could be a dream.
0: Uh, kind of last minute call for questions for this one. I, I, I tweeted out from the Into the Cast account uh, for questions earlier today. And uh, boy, did y'all come through. So thank you so much. We
1: got a lot. Yeah, we got a lot. Of these.
0: Uh, I'm excited to go through them.
1: Um, yeah, we got a lot on Twitter and on the Discord. I wrote down most of them. Apologies if I didn't get to yours, but uh, we got we got some good topics here. I am going to start off with uh, a question from Kyle Labriola on Twitter. Thank you, Kyle. Chrono Trigger is a surprisingly streamlined game with almost no extra mechanics or systems in it compared to modern RPGs. If it got a remake, are there any more mechanics or side content you would want to add on top? Short answer: No. Just
0: <laughs> honestly. Uh, I wouldn't want any more mechanics or side content added, TBH. There's a lot in here. There's more than I was even able to do on my playthrough. And there's there's enough to hold up the weight of new game plus and multiple endings so there's that side of things as i say on the show a lot more frequently i don't know why it's coming up a lot more but like i will never say don't make a thing you know like if the dream team wanted to get together again and be like yeah we're gonna do it we're gonna do a final fantasy 7 remake level gigantic overhaul of uh chrono trigger then like i w- i would say yeah like go do that i i I I want to see what you make <laughs> and um unlike a big portion of the internet, if it came out and was bad, that wouldn't erase my fond memory of the original. <laughs> so uh, either way, I think that that'd be cool. So like, you know, is there a world in which there is like a full ass, huge, gigantic remake of this game? And uh, it is better than the original because it, you know, inherently it's got a wonderful story. And as long as you don't stray too far from what's going on mechanically, it'll probably still be great. Like, yeah, that's that's a possibility. But at the moment, the thing that's really striking to me and the thing that i think is like i i kind of want to hammer home more than anything else honestly is this game feels very modern still like if this yes, game came yes, out
1: yes. today it would still really be impressive i'm ascending to the entity's realm of zeal yes because <laughs> yeah. this came up a couple of times but i think before you played it we like i think you float around the idea of like oh wouldn't it be cool if like there was like an octopath style remake of chrono trigger and it's just you said that innocuously, but it's like now that you've played it, I feel like it's one of those things where, like again, like you, I wouldn't say no to the potential of a remake. Yeah. But it really doesn't need it in any way. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like because and there there are games that I adore. Like I think Final Fantasy VII is the perfect example of a game that is worth playing, that is still a great RPG, but is tied a little bit to the time. And I think that the remake did a wonderful job of like bringing what made that game great to a modern audience, yeah. you know? And PS1 games have not aged as well as Super Nintendo games have. Yes. I think that they're, and I think the same thing with Ocarina and the 3DS remake, like yeah. there, are are certain, I think really the early 3D and even then like it does have its place and it's like presentation. But I think that the way Chrono Trigger came out, it's, it's almost like sacred to like touch even, you know? Absolutely. So but um, I would say if they did do it, like I think the only thing I would really want to see is like I would honestly just want to see more like direct character beats. Like, I feel like that's the only kind of room in the narrative where I'm like, I kind of wish that like in that open sequence that a lot of the side quests were like almost more character centric because mm. you don't like Marley, Robo and Frog get really personal quests. And everyone else kind of gets like, I found the cool item, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think fleshing that stuff out would
0: be really interesting. I think there's obviously a lot of room for more character dynamics, more dialogue between uh, party members and things like that. Not to constantly bring up Tokyo RPG Factory, but it's kind of hard not to. Lost Fear has this really wonderful thing where at any point, kind of like in dragon quest where you can like open up the like party chat thing in more recent dragon quest games um lost fear has a thing where at any point you can just press the right shoulder button and the members of your party will like or a member of your party will like say a line which will usually point you in the right direction for you know whatever quest you seem to be doing at that time which is really great to help you to not get lost obviously but if you continue to press the right button sometimes those like directions will turn into little line by line conversations between party members and i really 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 missed that going from lost sphere to chrono trigger i really wish that i could like hear these characters talking to one another or like even just have an opinion about this point in the quest that we're at i think is interesting
1: i think i think it weirdly could have used a bit more ambient dialogue but again that's just wanting more of a good thing and i think that there is power in like the fact that moments like the campfire scene and like the moment between luca and robo those moments are so kind of sacred because they happen at very like specific moments so the next question is from rufus in the discord and similar thing what would you want to see it of a supposed remake of either trigger or cross i guess your pick now here's the thing and i'm curious if we'll still feel this way when we revisit chrono cross inevitably (laughs) yeah i do think that cross has more fodder for a remake interesting i think it's a game that like is more all over the place and is much messier. So I'm, like, wondering how, like, another shot at that would go, which is very ironic because that game is all about what could have gone differently. So remaking it is inherently, like, (laughs) on point with the story because it's not time travel. It's um, parallel dimension. So it's, like... Oh, fun. Just to give you a flavor, the inciting event of Chrono Cross is uh, this boy named Surge who kind of looks like Chrono but has blue hair. Look at that. Oh. He... Lives like a carefree life in this like nautical (laughs) town, this beach town. And uh, one day he gets, he goes to the beach and gets hit by a wave and wakes up in a world that looks just like his own, but things are like slightly different. And when he gets back to town, everyone's like, dude, you died like 10 years ago. Why are you pretending to be this kid who drowned when he was a kid? So essentially like there was an event in your reality where like you almost drowned when you were a child, but were saved. And in this new one, you died. So everyone you talked to is like really offended that like, why would you like, are you joking? It's not funny. Why are you pretending to be this guy? And that attracts the attention of the Royal Guards who are like, who's this weird dude who's pretending he's this person? And they may seem that. to know more about what's going on. So it's a really great intro to, I think, a game that explores that idea very well on a personal level. And you see it a lot where like. There are characters that like even characters out. And the other thing about Chrono Cross is that there are 40 plus playable characters. So like if a character. Yes, there are 40 ish characters that can join your team. So like if someone like has a name, they'll probably just join you. Like it's it's wild. So it's it's literally like there are some aspects where it's like (laughs) they just took the opposite approach from Trigger. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, there are really only like five that like matter to the central story. But, um, there are a lot of characters. that's what I loved as a kid because they're like really wild. It's like there's a talking dog. There's like a voodoo doll. There's a skeleton clown <laughs> with boxing gloves. It's like very strange. Uh-huh. anyway. so, I think Cross could maybe like get a redemption arc. i' I'll be more open to seeing them remake that than trigger. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, uh here's a fun one. Chase Albion on Twitter asks, "I think I asked this question whenever y'all call for a bonus episode question." <laughs> But do the two of you have an Eye of the Duck scene for Chrono Trigger? So just to go over what that is, our Ooh. two close friends of ours, Adam and Dom, have a movie podcast called Eye of the Duck. And that's based on a David Lynch quote where he essentially says every movie has a scene that is like the center of the movie in kind of a spiritual way. Like it's the scene that like, not necessarily the best scene, but it's the scene that is at the center of a movie in a way. And they they watch movies and they, and they, they each choose what they think the Eye of the Duck scene is. Um, And it's it's such a good <laughs> it's such a good format for a show. It's such an interesting idea that it's impossible to not try to apply it to games as well whenever we talk about stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, so I would say my eye of the duck.
0: Although we were on their show once and they asked us what the eye of the duck of Super Smash Brothers was. And that really fucked me up. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Did you did you have one for Chrono Trigger?
1: <laughs> I think I do. I think I think it's got to be the campfire scene. Which is like a really? little bit tricky because it's it's a side quest. But I think that that scene of them all being together, all talking about like the purpose of their adventure and like the role of Lavos and the role of them and the role of the player. It kind of sums up everything we were talking about with like the game's like hint at a meta narrative, but also just like about history and one's role in history and how Robo only comes to that realization by like taking a break from the adventure for 400 years it it kind of has almost like a it reminds me almost like of like a buddhist level of of uh revelation about like one's role in the universe and i think as much as chrono trigger is a simple adventure story about saving the world it is also inherently about history and about one's role in it and how one's actions affect others and if like we're alone in that journey or if there's a force that's aiding us for good. So I would say it's that my my runner up is is just getting to zeal for the first time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I, I like your framing for the campfire scene. I think you're I think you're on the money there. My my three thoughts were campfire scene first time in zeal. And also just thinking back to the the trial um, when you're initially uh, thrown in jail. I, I feel like that bit in particular just kind of like shows the game's hand is like we're doing way more than you think we're doing you know like this this is not a simple save the princess fantasy story there's a lot more going on here than you really understand at this point I think is kind of maybe my runner up from the campfire scene
1: yeah that's a great moment Um,
0: yeah and I like the idea of an eye of the duck sequence coming within the first like two or three hours of a game too
1: (laughs) they often treat those scenes as like a teaching moment I think you're right that that whole trial is is a teaching moment and like one the laws of time travel and also like actions and repercussions I think all those scenes that we picked are related in that way where they all are kind of commenting action and repercussion and the role one has in history thank you Chase for that question it was fun Chet Willinger on Twitter, sort of a question. Did either of you know that Robo's theme sounds kind of like Rick Astley's hit song, Never Gonna Give You Up? Yes, I did know that. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing it up. And I always forget until I recruit Robo and it starts playing and I'm like, ah, yes, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that,
0: uh, is that not a direct reference?
1: I don't think it is. Oh, really? I, I mean, it sounds a lot like it's. it's almost, it's like one note away, basically. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 But I love it. It works for the character. Uh, moving on at the Famicom's on Twitter. What did you think of how wonderfully choice in the game later impacts how certain parts of the story unfold? Example, the opening and initially not knowing how certain innocuous choices you make can change some pretty interesting things later on. Then we touched on that with the court case. Totally. Um, Yeah. Did you have any more to to dwell on there? Not really. I, um, it was wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, they,
0: they do a wonderful job and, and, and there are a lot of, um, a lot of choices that I still probably haven't found, if I were to guess. I, I imagine on my second playthrough, if I poke around at some of the edges even more, I'll find even more cool stuff.
1: Yeah. I think it's also it's it's interesting to bring up too because I think that like in other games it could be potentially annoying when you didn't know a moment was a big choice and you made it, and you're like, How could I have known that? But in, in this instance, those moments are used for like flavor of the story and not like major consequence, you know. Yeah, totally. Like I think in, like, in Mass Effect, like, that's a game where, like, you kind of want that broadly announced so you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I think having it be kind of, like, looming in the background really pays off. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, I am Lugan. Do you think Chrono Trigger's popularity is somewhat tied to Toriyama's art style? If it was done in a completely different style, but everything else stayed the same, would it be as beloved and remembered? Chrono Cross, what could have been parallel reality question. <laughs> It's impossible to say, really, because I mean, that's such I think every part of this game is so integral to the experience, like like in any game, really. But like we mentioned earlier, this is a game where like everyone is contributing their best work to kind of make this like. Wonderful alchemy. I think Toriyama's art style does a really great job. And and this is similar to Dragon Quest, where he also does the art. His his style, I think, is so recognizable that it kind of adds this instant layer of nostalgia, even if you haven't experienced what it is. Yeah. That I think really helps. And I also think that like his style really balances tone well, where like it's immediately likable. It's like colorful and cheerful and bright but it's able to carry drama and and darker moments very well too like it, it's it's able to do both kind of effortlessly which is i think partially why he's so successful Is like that style lends itself to so many different style of stories
0: yeah i i mean I, I think that Toriyama being involved was definitely, like, a huge draw for a lot of people, right? Because at this yeah. point, the anime was, like, well-established. You know, the, the, the manga was, like, done, I think, at this point. I think, like, Dragon Ball was obviously done. I think Dragon Ball Z even was, like, done from a manga perspective at this point. And like, we were well into Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z being adapted into anime that was, like, even starting to get, like, localized and aired in the U.S., for example. Like, the er- the early stages of that. So, like... Yeah. Toriyama had like broken out and become kind of like a worldwide phenomenon in general. So I, I think, I think he was definitely a draw and that's kind of the the whole aspect of the dream team, right? That's why the dream team was assembled in the first place was like, well, you're going to know who one of these people are, you know, yeah, you're going right. to know who Toriyama is. You're going to have played a dragon quest or have played a final fantasy, you know? So I, th- I think you could ask this question about any of the three of them, in a sense. Um, Absolutely. And, and the answer would be yes. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I, I think that, like, the change in art style in Chrono Cross is often talked about like a negative, but, like, it's a totally different tone. Like, I don't think Toriyama's art would mesh well with the story they're trying to tell there.
0: Yeah, I agree. and And also, I think it's probably worth mentioning, like, like Blue Dragon, for example, that's that's another like Hironobu Sakaguchi and Akira Toriyama team up kind of situation. Where like, OK, well, what if instead of Yuji Horii and Toriyama making Dragon Quest, like Sakaguchi got his hands on Toriyama's art? Right. And, like, what, what would that turn into? And that turned into Blue Dragon, which was, I think, three or maybe even four games. But I'm pretty sure it's only three. Uh, it's three games that like I think a lot of people don't really remember too fondly, you know, because yeah. like as wonderful as that art was at the end of the day, the art isn't the only reason you play a game. You know, it's, it's, it's one aspect of, of design in a yeah. lot of instances.
1: I, I, think, I think everything in Chrono Trigger is working so harmoniously with each other that, like, like you said, every, every part of it was integral. Yeah. Um, Jason cool. in Discord asks, this is very funny, what Tales of Arise inspired anime shouts would you give some of your favorite double and triple tech attacks? For example, <laughs> Frog, X marks the spot during X-Strike. Um, oh my god. And also, how would you feel if the only time Krano spoke was during these (laughs) These animations? I would feel fine about that, just
0: to get that out of the way. I just I just don't know what his voice would sound like. That's the thing that's really fucking me <laughs> up. I'm
1: trying, to, I'm trying to think about
0: what, what Chrono's voice would sound
1: like. Yeah, it's a little bit like Link. It's like when you give a voice to a character that you've only known as silent. I mean, any of them, technically, they all yeah. are silent.
0: You and, can kind of infer what Link's voice sounds like based on the way he yells That's true. You know? That's and true. like yeah. that's that's a little disconcerting to make that extrapolation
2: in a yeah. sense.
1: And that voice actor who does Link's Hias has like done. Characters like you can like he's talked as other characters, so you can he sometimes like, in real oh, life that that guy talks. He doesn't just yell. <laughs> he doesn't just yell. Can you believe we found a guy who only yells to voice? I love zooming long Link. episodes like this because eventually we get into this. <laughs>
2: this like
1: <laughs> yeah. This dude doesn't just yell. Yeah. I don't. I mean, X marks the spot is really good. I don't know if I can one up that. I feel like I'm just glad I got to share that with the world. I feel <laughs> like I mean, I'm trying to remember like, <laughs> like what could be said during slurp kiss. You know, like that's just, <laughs> that's a show don't tell moment. There's not going to be a musical number. Yeah, maybe. I, honestly, yeah, I don't know, but um, I do think that that is like also such a tales thing. Like, I, I think that's part of the charm of tales, Like the yelling, the moves. In the same way that like. Just the cinematic flair of the dual and triple text here is like part of the charm of the game. So yeah. I don't I don't really have any because I just I like them the way they are. Yeah. Also, X marks the spot. Like you set the standard too high. We can't win up that, man. Um, <laughs> Baker and Discord. Which song theme from the soundtrack is your favorite? For me, Frog's theme gets me every time. Uh, and the Tyran castle theme rips. It does the the Stone Age music in general. I think that was mostly Umatsu. He did a lot of the Stone Age songs, if I remember correctly. My favorite song. There's so many good ones. I gotta say, probably Undersea Palace. That song. I think like a lot of the a lot of the soundtrack kind of you used the word melts earlier, and a lot of the, the soundtrack melts together, mm. like as distinct as the time periods are, and as like. They each get kind of their own melodies. Like, the music is sort of this, like, gentle wind that carries you through the whole game. Like, it kind of... The songs sort of morph into each other, in a way. Yeah. Undersea Palace, that song, like, demands your attention in a way that's really haunting. It's, like, the first time where the music is, like, almost like, pay attention. This is... A real moment you're about to get into some really heavy shit, yeah, the story is no longer like a whimsical fun adventure, like you're in it, you're underwater, you're about to fight an evil alien and a queen. get ready yeah. I, I really love that song, yeah there there's
0: a use of I mean it's all you know it, it was on the Super Nintendo, so it's all like chip tune essentially, but there there's a use of like horns in that song in particular that I find like really striking where it'll kind of chill out and it's like no, 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 no no horns no, horns those yeah. horns, those horns, 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 yeah, wake up. Um, for me, it's Corridors of Time, which is like oh, the yeah. overworld and kind of like Zeal esque area. Um, that whole like twelve thousand BC section. Um, that song, like I, I just left my DS on for a while and listened to that one.
1: <laughs>
0: um, yeah, that is uh, yeah.
1: a lot of this is on my relaxing JRPG playlist. Uh, not Undersea Palace, obviously. That's that's <laughs> a stressful song, but yeah, uh, Corridors of Time is is one of the best. I think it's kind of hard to beat. Uh, what what is it called? peaceful
0: days which is like oh yeah they're just kind of wandering around 1000 like present day before anything has really happened that song is so 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 good
1: yeah a lot of just the general like honestly the opening theme too like i love like that theme has a lot of different versions of it like um yeah memories of green and uh even the the final like the lavos fight has a lot of like mixes of all the songs kind of put together which is mm-hmm. kind of parallels the images of history and also the boss trying to like replicate everything that's happened in the game. Yeah. Um it's yeah the soundtrack is really again another every every part of the game is essential. Here's a here's a question from Rob K who I wrote here is the patron saint of the igus Rim. What were some of your favorite uses of time travel in the game? Um that's a great question.
0: I mean, I have an answer. I have an, I have an immediate answer. It, I mean, it's, it, it has to be Robo for me. Yeah. The, like the it, ha- it has to be Robo in the forest and the 400. I mean, like that hit me like a ton of bricks. Even just like as soon as you say yes to that and Robo leaves your party, and you can see Robo like toiling around uh, in the desert was like really, really good. I, a second A second place one for me is probably the, the charging of the Sunstone. Yeah. Um, is yeah. really fun like when you like as soon as it clicks it's like oh yeah wait i can travel through time of course i could just put the stone like in prehistoric times and then jump to the future and pick it up um and of course like somebody has stolen it in that time and is hoarding it and that, that whole <laughs> bit i love i love that whole bit i thought that was really great but those two moments in particular i think really stand out to me
1: yeah i think Robo. i mean the minute robo decides to stay behind for 400 years i'm like i want a short story that's just that like that's just Robo oh, yeah. like, waiting for his friends to come back as a forest grows and as he yeah. like slowly breaks down. Honestly, Stephen, th- this is a little bit of a
0: tangent, but I, th- I think it's worth bringing up. I-, I I would like if you at some point checked out and played more Lost Odyssey. Because yeah, no,
1: I want to. I definitely want to. Because I
0: feel like if that's if that's the kind of storytelling you want, like that's what Lost Odyssey is. Right.
1: The whole game is just that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have Lost Odyssey. I remember I got it when you and I were talking about it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'd, I'd love to check that out. Man, I'm really flirting with giving it another shot. You should. I would say another this is a this is a sillier example of time travel, But I do love in Magus' side quest where when you take out Ozzy and friends, that village of fiends becomes like super friendly and like uh, they no longer hate humans and that shop becomes like the cheapest place to get items. So it's like, (laughs) it's more out of utility than anything else. But I just like that, like that, even though it's kind of played for laughs in a way is another example of like you kind of healing the world. It's like Mm. you are planting a forest and you are like taking out like corrupt people in positions of power and just like seeing the positive like kind of that's, that's what a lot of the side quests are about is like, just seeing like the sort of smaller impacts of positive change outside of just the existential threat of lavos it's like you are also like nourishing the world in addition to saving it mm, um yeah i love that okay oh this is fun this is from hot dog goblin or hot dog goblin it's hard to read when you're three hours into a bonus episode. Now that you're both big JRPG heads, I just want to know <laughs> if the two of you went on a JRPG adventure together. Which classes would you each be, and who would you bring along to fill out your party? So, I'm uh, the 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 latter question. I'm wondering if that's like characters from a game or people in our lives. <laughs> uh, but I, just to keep it simple, I'll, I'll have. I would bring be. the guy at the bodega who makes. <laughs>
0: The chopped cheese, specifically the guy who works on weekends at nights. He's really good.
1: I'll bring Kurt Russell. Why My not? landlord. He helpful. My landlord. <laughs> and uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. What class do you think you and I would be in an RPG? I don't know what I would be.
0: I don't know either. That's are the entities? One the, it's one of the interesting things about Chrono Trigger, too, is that nobody really fits fully the like classic Uh, yeah classic classes in that sense
1: that feels like a sakaguchi influence too because i feel like final fantasy at this time was deviating from that yeah you know like especially in seven where it was like just materia basically you can make anyone anything Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know i uh i'm trying to think like oh and D, &D, what would i play but i'm usually the dm so i feel like i'm always i'm always the entity (laughs) (laughs) or i'm I'm either the entity or lavos yeah uh i'm gonna be a dragoon oh yeah, if, we're, if we're, You know what? <laughs> if we're doing FF14. let's do that as a joke. I love that you were fully like, you know what? Yes, you would be a Dragoon. If droon. we're going by what we were in FF14, I'm a bard and you're a Dragoon, which actually yeah. I think is perfect. <laughs> uh, perfect. I love it. I think we're both bards, if I had to
0: say it. That's probably true, too.
1: Okay. Uh, here's a fun one. Eric B. Chrono Trigger had the JRPG dream team. What's your personal game developer dream team? Oh, my God. It's a big question. I, I don't, it's hard to really know because I feel like it's like the, the Venn diagram of like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and like that time. It's hard to like know exactly. I mean, honestly, uh, Lena Rain and Toby Fox collaborating, like is a dream team come true for me with, <laughs> with the recent Delta Rune chapter. Yeah. I feel like Toby Fox and just the overall Celeste team, like Maddie Thorson, Lena Rain, I feel like they would be able to make something really cool yeah, together. I
0: was there. also going to go in an indie direction, I yeah. think um i I need to think about it some more but i i like i like this uh hmm. do you, do you mind if i take a second to yeah take your time i have no idea <laughs> it's hard it's a hard question it's a yeah. it's a hard question i do i do feel like there's there's room for uh an indie team to do something like this though and i, I would like to see that happen
1: yeah and that's where we see more personal authorships it's kind of easier to identify like the creative voices of smaller teams obviously yeah like i don't i i know the um i forgot his name but i know the guy who runs ff14 i think is like kind of a more modern sakaguchi in some ways like, yeah I feel like he has like an but even even that is like i mean that that game is like its own little industry <laughs> like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of people so i yeah. mean the same thing with this game as much but now, as we, now he's directing 16 right that's right and that's the thing too about trigger is like as much as we credit the the dream team, it's like it's still dozens and nearly hundreds of people who work yeah. on this. So it's like that combination is really hard to put into words in like another combination of people, you know. Yeah. But it's a cool question, and I definitely think that there are people I'd love to see work together. Yeah, um,
0: I a weird little like microcosm of this, um, is a thing that I'm kind of excited about, and I haven't checked out. I don't even know where it's at. It might even be out at this point. I'm not really sure. But I I was excited by the project was um, Derek Yu, who's the creator of Spelunky, was working on a project called UFO 50, where he essentially just like reached out to a bunch of game designers that he really liked and was just like, what if we all just like collaborated and made like a kind of like WarioWare style thing where we all make little micro games um, and package them under one thing. And there are a bunch of really great developers who I really, really love uh, making stuff for that. So UFO 50. That's when that awesome. happens it's like kind of a real life version of this
1: that's a dream team yeah ribbit robot asks who from the main cast would you most want to hang out with at the end of time while your buds were off fighting lavos wow so who of the cast would we want to hang out with while everyone else is during the end of the game do you have an answer do you have, do you have an immediate answer i mean i feel like it's hard not to say ayla i just feel like she'd be so fun to like party with but it's also <laughs> the end of time so i don't know if like I feel like she'd be kind of bored because it's just like an old man by a lantern. There's not much to do. Yeah. I would say Luca probably because I feel like she's one of the characters where I think we get a stronger sense of her personality. She seems like very kind and interesting. I think it'd be a fun time. I think it'd be a good like conversation to have at the end of time. So Ayla and Luca would be my would be my picks. Yeah. I think I would be
0: between... Probably Marl and Robo, I think. Um, just, I, I spent a lot of time with Marl on this quest, and I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like we'd get along. We, she seems like somebody I would be friends with in real life, <laughs> if I'm being totally That's honest. A,
1: I, I feel like, especially Luca and Marley, I mean, they're they're like, you know, the the original party members. I feel like they are written to be relatable in that way, because they're the present day characters. They're like, yeah, you know, and especially like... I think they also get a lot more in like Lucas side quests, you don't get a lot, but in the forest one, you do. And Marley side quests, you get a stronger sense of her personality. So, I mean, the whole cast is so lovable. Like, it'd be any of them. Probably not Magus. I probably would be uncomfortable hanging out with Magus at the end of time. Yeah. But it would still be interesting. It wouldn't be boring. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah.
0: But I do think it would be cool to just like talk to Robo for a long
1: time. Yeah, totally. Rufus in the Discord also asks if someone were to say, They were making a game inspired by Chrono Trigger. What would be the thing you'd want them to pull from the game? Mm. For example, you've pointed out how Souls-likes often just pick up the bonfires of the fog wall as surface elements of that game, missing the more important aspects that make Dark Souls what it is. What do you think these important aspects would be for a Chrono-like
0: Yes, I've been thinking about this a lot, a lot, obviously, because I've been playing the Tokyo RPG Factory stuff, Uh, but also just like now putting Chrono Trigger in the context of the other JRPGs I've played. Um, And I've already already brought this bit in particular up, but I think the most important thing to me is just like not needing to add complexity for complexity's sake. Like you don't always... Like the the idea of turn-based combat is good by itself. Like I think that that is... You don't really need to expand upon it a whole lot. I think it's one of the brilliant things about Yuji Horii and the Dragon Quest franchise is that like that combat has remained mostly the same for the entire existence of that of that uh, uh, series, which is really really wonderful. So every time you pick up a Dragon Quest game, like you know exactly what you are going to get, um, and I think that's great. And they they add complexity to story or complexity to other different mechanics outside of that. Dragon Quest Five is about you know growing older through time, but they also invented this like mechanic where you can capture monsters and they can join your team which obviously turned into a whole bunch of different things but even when you catch those monsters or like have them join your party or whatever you're still just doing the same turn-based combat with them uh that that you're used to which is great so there's this like kind of give and take there uh Final Fantasy I find is the franchise for me that every single time I play it I have to sit down and like think way too hard about whatever they've decided to add to it like (laughs) the Materia yep. system like I don't like the material system just to be clear about final like in final fantasy 7 the original and the remake I don't like it I actually don't think that it serves it it's just another thing I have to manage it's another thing I have to think about I find it more frustrating than anything because like uh, I can't I have to put experience into this I have to have it equipped and then I have to put it here like I just don't want to have to think about that kind of stuff and Chrono Trigger just getting rid of all of that me not needing to think about that just allows it all as I was talking about before to fade away and allow me to engage with the story because at the end of the day I find for me the reason I go to JRPGs always I think is to be like kind of lulled into a nice story and even if it goes totally off the rails even if it becomes like complete nonsense by the end like i like that journey i like that every rpg for the most part starts with this like nice town that i grow up in and i kind of like wander around and do chores or whatever um and slowly but surely it's starts to build up into something like cosmic and stupid or sometimes not stupid. Sometimes great. Sometimes like this, you know, like the whole lava situation is like fascinating or something like mother three, for example, which like was an absolutely wild journey. That's why I play these games. I've, I found like the genre for me is more about comfort than anything else. And I think something like a turn-based combat system for the most part, allows me to kind of like sit back and enjoy my time more. Chrono Trigger is the very, very, very rare example of a game like this that has more fast paced combat. And I think it actually aids the thing. But at the end of the day, it's still very simple. And that to me is what's important is like if you make a JRPG and you think actively about what the player should be thinking about at any given time, I think the game will be good. But in a lot of instances, it's like we're designing the combat and then we're designing the games. Like that that can't be
1: it. That can't be yeah, it. Yeah, that's a great takeaway. And I wanted to put this question last because I think it's something we've been like thinking about a lot and and even exploring in this episode. I think another thing too, and this is a little bit more zoomed in, but I feel like something that I like about the the combat and Chrono Trigger is how strong you always feel. Like you always feel really powerful (laughs) which is Mm. a weird thing to point out but i feel like so many games are designed to make you feel weak or like you know there's plenty of fights that challenge you and that make you feel weak i mean the lavas fight where you can't you don't stand a chance but it's like the the fights where you are meant to feel weak are are for narrative reasons and i think that just goes back to like really serving everything in the game around what is the intention of this scene what is the intention of this game and really building around that and focusing on the strengths and not needing, especially I think in the AAA space, there's a lot of pressure externally to be everything, to have yes, stealth, exactly. to have whatever. And it's like, it almost never benefits from that. Like, uh, the, the games that succeed are the ones that are focused. I mean, look at the AAA games that take off, like Spider-Man, where it's like, that game is focused on like three things, <laughs> you know, and they all <laughs> aid each other. And I think, yeah. I think that's it. I think that the biggest thing about Corner Trigger is the harmony of the elements within. It's like not only do you have intentionality, but every part of it is is harmonizing with the other. Yeah. And that's I think the challenge is that as, as specific as the experience is and as like strong of an identity this game has, the lessons to pull from it are very basic. It almost goes back to the entity conversation where it's like the lessons to take from this game are kind of loose and philosophical. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. believe in yourself. Believe in your product. Let the confidence bleed through it. Be like Ayla where you're just like, yeah, I'm strong. I know it. I'm just going to go see the world. I I need to point out how much I love Ayla because I feel like (laughs) she's the character from prehistoric times who is constantly being thrown in eras like that would blow anyone's mind from that time. And she like is just vibing the whole time. Like, she, just, like, <laughs> never, like, she never stops to ask questions. She's just like, yeah, like I'm ready to party. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to save the world. Having yeah. that like relentless optimism, like as part of the team, I, I just adored. I loved her confidence. And I think that the game shares that confidence, which is fun.
0: Yeah. The closest you get to that is bringing Robo to prehistoric times. And it's not even Isla that's like commenting on it you know yeah uh, which i really appreciate
1: um yeah, she briefly asks like what a robot is and she asks if she can eat frog and that's like it otherwise she's like yeah i get <laughs> yeah, it. it she's not she's smart she's just speaks in a different way you know mm-hmm. like i thought she was great i love i love everyone but i think ayla has a special place in my heart for sure yeah
0: i think one of the things i've been thinking about a lot in terms of tokyo rpg factory which i'm just gonna keep bringing up is uh a lot of the pushback I've seen on those games or like the the common refrain I've seen is like this game doesn't do anything new is like that's the that's the phrase I see a lot. And the big thing for me, I think my kind of big takeaway here is like that's incorrect because there's a new story there. Yeah, in a sense, you know, and at the end of the day, that's why I'm playing those games. And uh, I, th- I think that like I've been trying to figure out I've been trying to boil down to like why I like these games, <laughs> why I like Lost Sphere, why I like I am Setsuna so much, even though they are like kind of like blatant kind of copies of what chrono trigger was trying to do is like just the fact that they're telling a new story in uh, in a in a format or in a in a gameplay scenario mechanically that i appreciate and already know i like that's that's actually enough for me but i do think you're right i think like if anything it is philosophical like Iko
1: is a chrono like (laughs) (laughs) It is, and I, you know, I think I think uh, it's not a coincidence that I think our favorite games are almost all focused in this way, and yeah. and you know the elements serve each other. Yeah,
0: you're right. Though there is that external pressure. That's why people are saying that like I am sets in a quote unquote doesn't do anything new. You know, is because I, I feel like consumers have been trained. To expect things to be bigger and bigger. I, th- I think the, the joke that you and I make all the time is like whenever they announce new open world games, like this is the biggest open world. This is the most dense open world of yeah, all time. Yeah. It's like it doesn't need to be the most dense. It doesn't need to be the biggest. It's the size of actual Michigan. It's a
1: yeah, that means nothing.
0: You don't need that. That That's yeah. that's unnecessary. If the game is not fun, you know, right. like that's, <laughs> that's not the reason the game is fun at the end of the day.
1: The irony, too, is that Chrono Trigger, even in 95, was inherently a nostalgic story yeah it's 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 literally tied to the past and even though it does a lot of these innovative new things it almost feels like that happened just like kind of by accident you know Mm -hmm. it's like the game isn't being like in this game you're gonna fly the epoch and it's gonna be the first open world jrpg it's just a piece of it because it's like the story called for that you know it's like right it, it seems like a lot of those moments that have become these like ripple effects like i'm sure that like it was a mix of like seeing where it was going and then intentionally doing it. Like a lot of this stuff I'm sure was thought out and planned obviously, but the game isn't focused around that. And it's not focused on like blowing your mind in that way. It's just like, it just does it, you know, it does it, it does it with a quiet confidence that leads to it being influential. You know, I think that like that quiet confidence is also something that I think every successful piece of media has where again, it's intentionality, it's execution. And, uh, that's it. I figured it out. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's also loose and it's hard to put into words. And I think another thing that I would want to catch on from this game or the influence from this game is being comfortable with openness, you know, telling a very concrete story, but letting some of the more mysterious elements linger and not directly mm-hmm. answering them. You know, I think I think we see that a lot in like the Souls games specifically, almost like dramatically that it's yeah. like, we could even use like a little bit more concreteness here, <laughs> but uh, I do really respect when games are comfortable leaving that an open question. We don't need a revelation. We don't need everything tied up. There are some mysteries that even with the power of time travel, we can't answer, you know, yeah. and that's what makes life on this planet exciting. And that's what makes the game exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, man. Feel, I feel really good about that. I actually don't <laughs> want to say anything else. That was very good.
1: That was maybe a good note to end on even. <laughs> you can say what ayla says like head go boom let's fight instead
0: <laughs> yeah i i guess like just to wrap the whole thing up for me uh chrono trigger it's one of the best games ever uh everybody was right and um <laughs> it's pretty wild it's pretty it's pretty wild that everybody was right i look we only talk about games we like on this show but uh I th- I thought that this was going to be one of those ones where it was like, at the end of the day, I was going to like like it, but have a lot of critiques. And I kind of don't. I just don't like that one part
1: when it's the future. <laughs> and then everything else is fucking great. <laughs> I'm so happy you liked it. And I really loved doing this episode with you. It's also the first bonus of this year, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious because I know we have intentions of like you want to check out Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Cross and I'm so excited to hear what you think of those two because FF6 is, is often kind of put alongside Chrono Trigger as like here are the two games that kind of define the golden era of yeah. JRPGs. I love Final Fantasy VI, but I do think, if memory serves, that like it doesn't feel as modern as Trigger does. Mm. And I'm wondering how that will... Like, I think you'll really like it, but I just wonder if it will hit the same highs. Not to make them compete against each other. I'm just like curious, as you play more from this era yeah uh, what you'll think of them you know in relationship with each other
0: yeah i'm curious about it too there, uh, one of the things we haven't even mentioned which is i think more specific about like the time that it was made you know it's it's not as exciting now but i know in 95 it was exciting was just how cinematic chrono trigger can be oh, yeah. at times you know there yeah. are like cutscenes in this game which is like Kind of wild, but even scenes like uh, when you're fighting the dragon tank on the bridge and stuff, even just that shift of perspective to be a side scroller for a bit for that battle is like really cool and interesting. Um, But I do know that like Final Fantasy VI was kind of figuring out how to tell a cinematic story within Final Fantasy. And I feel like that was kind of like a blueprint for this. Also Masato Kato, who did a lot of the story writing for this game like invented the cutscene, which is wild. Yeah. Just he, like he, he's done a lot of
1: incredible work. Yeah.
0: So, you know, having, having, having said that, I, am very interested to play final fantasy six when that, uh, drops on iOS next month.
1: And, and to be clear, it's also like fantastic. <laughs> it just, it's one of those things where I think like Trigger somehow became timeless in a game about history, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Let's wrap up my friend. Uh, Hey, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm going to keep this short because we've been going for a while, but into the cast that online is our hub for all the ways to listen to the show, um, our YouTube and Twitch. We are going to be streaming a little bit more. I think you have some plans to stream um, Pokemon Arceus that might already be up by the time this comes out.
0: Definitely already up by the time. this comes out.
1: <laughs> time travel,
0: baby. Unless AJ edits this in the next uh, 12 hours. <laughs> It's currently midnight. (laughs) Uh, I will have a stream of
1: Pokemon Arceus and maybe even more. I'm really excited to play Pokemon Arceus. Me too. Uh, Just to say it in this moment in time. But that's it. We just, we really, really appreciate you for listening. It feels like, especially like the last month or so, we've been getting even more positive feedback on the show and people reaching out. And if we can't directly reply to your message, still know that it means the world to get that feedback. Totally. And that this show is at all a positive part of your life—that's like all we can really hope for. Um, that's that that really validates what we're doing because we love doing it, and the fact that it's part of your life at all is really all that matters. That truly, like not to not to be corny or anything, but like that's like an, that's enough of a reason. That's why we've been doing the show for four years, and that's why we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, you're our entity. You are our entity. <laughs> <laughs> On that vaguely Scientology esque note. <laughs>
0: thank you. Have a wonderful night. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Man, what, big pressure to whatever the next game is we talk about.
1: Yeah. For, we might have to do an idea. February or bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, February bonus is just us like walking around a tree or something. Mass <laughs> blaster. <laughs> Oh, wait, what was um, Treasure Math Storm? Do you ever play that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe you could do math games
0: Yeah, <laughs> We could do the, you know what we should do? We should do the humongous entertainment games like Backyard Soccer and Freddy Fish.
1: That's perfect. Yeah, Pajama Sam. Putt
0: Putt, yeah. Spy Fox.
1: That sounds, that's the perfect way to follow up Carno Sugar. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye.
3: Gamers rise up. It's the Into the Aether Chrono Trigger Bonus Episode. I'm Kim, and the frog of the week, the month, the year, all of time really, is frog. This frog is from the Kingdom of Guardia, circa the year 600 A.D., He has green and white skin, with brown stripes, and wears a classic adventurer's ensemble, complete with a flowing green cape. He also wields a shield, and the legendary sword, Masamune. I must admit, Frog almost didn't qualify to be Frog of the Week, because he wasn't always a frog. Rather. He was once a young man named Glenn, who was turned into a frog by an evil sorcerer. Tough break. But I suppose every cloud really does have a silver lining. This frog calls triumphantly when he's happy, such as after a successful battle. His call sounds like a rippling electronic I like this frog because he has big blue lion's energy. A guy named Glenn was sworn to avenge the dead? Someone get this frog an eye patch. And that's the frog of all time. Thank you to Brendan and Stephen for having me on the show to talk about this great frog.